Hello, everyone. Welcome back for another week of Growing With My Fellow Growers. I'm your host, Jack Greenstock, joined, as always, by an amazing panel. And kick it over first to Spartan Grown. Thanks, Jack. Thanks, everybody. I'm Spartan Grown. You can find me on Instagram, uh, Spartan Grown, all one word with no spaces. And if you don't do the social media, you can shoot me an email at spartangrown at gmail.com. And I will try to help you with all of your cannabis growing questions. Happy to have you back. Next up, Dr. MJ. Hey, it's uh, Dr. MJ Coco from CocoForCannabis.com. I am uh, excited for the show this week. I'm not sure if any of you guys are going to be out at uh, MJ BizCon. I'm heading out there in a couple of days, too. So excited about that this week. And uh, yeah, coming up towards Thanksgiving. So a lot of fun stuff coming up. I always enjoy uh, that time of year. I'm looking forward to cooking up some turkey with my wife, Lady Green Stuck. Shout out to her. And next up, we've got Matthew Gates. Hey everyone, this is Matthew Gates, Integrated Pest Management Specialist. I'm looking forward to whatever we're talking about today. And if you're interested in professional inquiries, you can check me out at sentinel.com. Happy to have you back. Next up, Brandon Rust. Hey, how's it going, everybody? Brandon Rust here. Uh, glad to be here. You can check me out on IG at rust.brandon. You can check out bokashiearthworks.com. We're having 25% off on the whole site with coupon code Black Friday all the way until December 8th. Good stuff. I just uh, full year fed some Amino N Plus and got my Bokashi Earthworks package in the mail. So appreciate that, Brandon. And happy to have you back. Next up, Kyle Breeder. Hey, everybody. Uh, glad to be here. Um, yeah, uh, basically what I do is I specialize in uh, feminized breeding. Uh, I do have some uh, reg seed lines coming out, some stuff from guys in Afghanistan and some uh, skunk that uh, dates somewhere in the 80s. Uh, some really cool terpene profiles coming off of those. Uh, not to quite follow suit, but I do have a sale as well on our website at purebreeding.com uh, with the code uh, PURE, coupon code PURE, and it's uh, 20% off all orders. Uh, whatever you get there and uh just glad to be here uh, sorry i missed last last week i kind of had an injury doing some uh, renovations at the uh, the house but uh, i'm back everything seems good and i'm glad everybody's here and, and doing well you always say that you're happy we're all, still all here and doing well and last week you happened to you know be on the other end of that so we're happy that you are back and healthy enough to join us and uh next up we've got the american one hello jack panel and everyone in chat I am the American one on YouTube and the American one underscore with underscore 18s on the IG. Most of you know we and where to find me. If not, if you go to the IG and just type in the American one and a little guy with an American top hat pops up, that would be me. And uh, yeah, glad to be here. Good to see everyone. Happy to have you back. And this week I uh, debated going through like a scientific article and kicking it out to you guys like last minute but i want to find a really good article and give you guys like most of the week to look at it uh so we'll look forward to doing that next week but this week i kind of wanted to get back to something that we've touched on in the past but i feel like we didn't necessarily break down uh the two sort of main ways that i see people going about cultivating to sort of not just maximize each harvest but maximize their year like one of the things i've been guilty of myself is not getting my next grow lined up on time as somebody who grows like all of my plants at the same age, essentially in flower, where a lot of people like to do what is known as a perpetual harvest. And somebody I know here on the panel who does that is Spartan Grown. 
So I want to kick it over to you and kind of talk about why uh, you like going with the perpetual harvest and maybe we could compare a little bit about um, how overall it works for you and uh, if it is able to increase the amount that you're bringing in or if it just makes things more convenient, like what are the overall thoughts on that process? Yeah, so perpetual harvest for me, it solves a couple issues for me and uh, how it does that is, um, so I when I my perpetual harvest is my plants are different ages, they go into the room around two weeks around two weeks apart from each other. So um, I'm never harvesting usually more than one plant at a time. Uh, and if that holds true, then I'll have the two weeks to dry that plant in my dry room before I introduce another plant. Um, that's one thing that I ran into early on with perpetual harvest was running into the issue of I have an almost dry plant in my dry room. I put a freshly cut plant into it and it rehydrates that almost dry plant. So that's one thing that I had to really space out at least two weeks so that I get that time to dry that plan out. Um, but other than that, it breaks up my work. I don't have uh, a whole light of plant. I usually do four lights per plant or four plants per light. And um, if I were to take down four plants, that would be a, a lot of work for me to get through quickly. And uh, right now I take down one. So I take down one plant get that plant trimmed up. It, spaces out all the work. I don't have any point of time where I have a huge amount of work all at once, because at the most, it's one plant that's going to take a lot of work. And so to, to, to run perpetually, it really breaks up all of that work into a more manageable amount of work for a, like a home growth situation. It also allows me to grow different flavors. In a home growth situation, if you monocrop, you start well, most people start to get sick of uh, the same flavor again and again and again and again, just kind of like food. So to be able to have different cultivars next to each other in the flower room allows me to basically just look at my stock of what I have in stock of usable flower. And then that will help me determine what I want to get into my rotation next, because whatever's the lowest, whatever I'm closest to running out of, that's what I want to grow next. And if I can keep my stock, at least, you know, flowers in each jar, that way, then uh, I'll always have like multiple choices on flour rather than just one thing to smoke all the time. Uh, and then uh, the perpetual harvest challenges, though, are it really is challenging to train plants so that they're the same height at different types at different ages because you have the bolt to deal with. So a lot of the times I have to just keep my light at the the perfect distance for the tallest plant in there and let my plants kind of grow into it. Uh, I don't really have the ability to lower my plants to the perfect PPF level for each plant. I can only kind of hit the middle or hit the tallest plant with that perfect PPFD. So it's a decision I have to make. It's just kind of a, a, a choice I make uh, just on how the plants are growing because they're all going to grow a little bit different. But if your plant training game is on point, Perpetual harvest, I think, can be mitigated. The, the issues with perpetual harvest can be mitigated just by plant training. But, you know, I use scrog nets and I use individual scrog nets because I have to be able to, my plants can't be tied into one big scrog net because they're all different ages and I have to be able to pull them out to harvest or whatever, defoliate, whatever I want to do. And that keeps my plants, you know, free to be able to be moved around in that. So that's how I solve that kind of issue too with, with not being able to use a net. I just do... A PVC frame that fits within the pot that I'm growing in, 
and then the um, I get the net they're individual to each plant and I think I don't know I think I've covered everything but I'm sure if you have any questions just I do have a follow-up question then I'll pass it to uh, somebody else next but in terms of maximizing your veg has sort of always got something going on and it seems like when you have a perpetual going it's you've got a lot of plants and veg and ideally you'll have one pretty much ready at all times as soon as that one comes down you've got another one that's like you know ready to go in in that new two-week uh segment so as somebody who pops seeds all the time every single grow something that's more difficult for me from that perspective is um each seed is a little bit different in veg you know some are really quick and some are a little bit slower so having the you know taking clones and holding on to mothers or even just taking a clone from each run you have the knowledge of okay it grows this fast it's already this large and so it'll be at the size when i'm ready to put it into flower where sometimes i plan for something and then maybe i get a little bit of a slow start or maybe it's quicker than i was expecting and then you're kind of like oh god it's like overgrowing my veg space while my flower space is still kind of uh taken up so i think that's one of the other benefits of a um style of doing what you're doing with the perpetual harvest is that you kind of get a little bit more familiarity, but you can also go like, not necessarily monocrop, but the, um, all your plants at the same age, so to speak. So you flip everything on the same date, but have like a bunch of different clones side by side, uh, to give a little bit of variety and flavors and things like that. But then some plants don't like to grow the same way, like blue dream is not going to grow well next to an Afghani. And so dealing with that is going to be its own challenge. And yeah, uh, as but, you grow your plants, it is important for you to, if you're going to grow them again, it's important to remember the plant morphology and how it grew and how it bolted and, and all of these things so that you can, like, I do do that. What you're saying, I do like, I'll be like, okay, I want to do this one because of the way it grows, or I'm going to want to put this one in shorter. I want to put this one in taller, all de dependingly on how it grows. Like you said, blue dream. If I'm, I'm going to put that in there pretty short, because it's going to grow and grow and grow and grow and grow and try to get as big as it can. Um, whereas for example, my banana daddy, it might grow, it might bolt for like the total amount of height is maybe two inches. It barely moves, barely moves. So I know that I have to keep that in the bedroom for longer than I would a normal plant. Um, but honestly, I don't plan my veg like I used to. That was a headache, man. It was such a headache to try to plan it because like you said, these are living things. They're going to do their own thing, whether you like it or not. And so now instead of going by dates or times, or I just go by the height of the plant. I train them all the same in veg. You know, I try to make them a little bit bushy just to fill the space. I know that my, my container is like a two by two, almost, almost completely a two by two. So if I fill that two by two space with the plant, that's all I got to do. I got to train it. So it's flat and covers a two by two space. And then when it's tall enough, it goes into bed or it goes into flower. So honestly, I'm just going by the height of the plant more often than not, how big it is on determining what is going in next. Now, when I pull the clones or if I plant that seed, I'm going off of what I have as dry flower and what I want to, you know, add to that dry flower. But uh, when it comes to actually flipping, to, to just making a decision, what's going into the flower next to fill the hole from a harvest, it's going to be the tallest plant. That's a good point. And um, like you were saying with the veg, especially when I'm growing from seed, like if I'm really crushing it, maybe I could get a plant to like a foot tall and like trained where I want it in like 25 days, maybe 30 days. But on like uh, in the colder months or something, or if things just don't go perfectly, it might be 35, 40 days, maybe even 45 days. And if you're planning things out on your calendar, <laughs> A two week difference changes like if, if you mess that up a couple times you lose a whole harvest and i've been victim of that also with like the i was talking in the past about just being negligent not uh lining things up or not cleaning things quickly enough and doing all the things that need to be done to stay up with uh 
having your harvest after harvest. But I want to pass it next to uh, Doc, because I know that you kind of are on the same strategy as myself, where you're just popping new seeds every single grow, and then taking those all the way through your harvest, and uh, how to maximize your year with using that strategy, because there is some sort of element of unknown, even if you have a pretty dialed in veg strategy, sometimes there's some variability. So I'd like to hear kind of how you go about getting the most out of your grow with that approach. Yeah. I mean, first of all, I think that if I really wanted to get the most, like if I was doing this for maximizing production, um, I would have a, a perpetual setup, probably not exactly the same way that Spartan has. I think Spartan's really interesting sort of case of how perpetual grows can be adapted to home growth situations. I mean, having lots of different plants of different ages all in one flower room. Um, you know, normally when I think of a perpetual grow, I think of having plants that are all the same age and having several flower rooms supported by, you know, one veg space, one sort of germination space. Um, and, you know, that's another way that growers can set up to do perpetuals at home. But like not everybody needs to have three or four tents going, you know, and, and harvesting every two weeks or three weeks or whatever. Um, so at least a whole tent every two or three weeks, right? So Spartan's plan of, you know, harvesting like one-off plants every once in a while, I think that that's an interesting way to sort of maximize. It does introduce a lot of those training sort of challenges that he's talking about. And the one thought I wanted to, to say there was, I think optimal light height is sort of overrated, especially, um, to the extent that you have enough light, you don't have to worry about like, you know, if you've seen a par map at 18 inches and you think that that's really good, you know, having a plant that's 24 inches away or even 30 inches away, as long as it's still getting good direct light from everywhere in that tent, it's going to be fine. Um, so the, the distance from the light in a reflective space, I don't, th I think that's sort of overblown. I, and I would think of the, the hanging height more as a minimum hanging height, as opposed to like, I absolutely have to be at that. It's it sort of like, don't get closer than that, but being further away is perfectly acceptable. Um, and the one sort of caveat there is you don't want to have like, you know, a little plant growing next to like a big tall plant because that big tall plant is going to shade out some of the light even if the little plant can like look up and like see the light it, it can't look over at the other wall and see any reflective light coming back off of that wall because there's like a big plant next to it um so those are the sort of height issues that you have to be worried about i think in a situation like that um photo absorbers versus reflectors what's that I said it was like uh, photo absorbers versus reflectors essentially yeah, absolutely. You got you got sort of a photon sink that's soaking up all the photons and giving you sort of the red shade effect to the plant, which it won't affect the plants too much during during the, the flowering, but it does sort of send the signal to them that they're underneath other plants. Um, so we want to keep them with this, this sort of optimized light conditions, but I think there's other things to think about there with, with optimizing light conditions rather than simply the distance to the light. Um, anyways, in my own situation, yeah, I mean, I like to optimize in the space that I have. Um, I grow pretty quickly. I, I try to grow a dense canopy um, and, you know, hit good yield per square foot 
numbers in, in my grows, um, as well as sort of yield per per micromole and, and yield per watt and sort of the energy consumption that we're doing. So um, I, you know, train and flip my plants. I usually know how long things are going to take, but sometimes they take a little bit longer because life gets in the way and you don't do everything perfectly. Um, so yeah, like you were saying, you know, sometimes it, it takes 35 days. Sometimes you plan everything to, to take 28 days and it takes 35 or it takes 42 and you got to just sort of roll with that. Um, but I do think that that's where, you know, you gain on sort of the, the efficiency of your grow, um, is keeping everything tight, keeping the plants happy the whole time, um, and sort of having the right kinds of equipment for the size grow that you're trying to grow in to have the best results with that. Um, yeah, I'm just growing right now myself in, in one four by two tent. Um, and I'm, I'm, I skipped two harvests this year. So I, I need to get kind of back on the stick here and I, I am running low on product eventually, but having, you know, three harvests a year, generally out of a four by two tent, um, is more than enough to sort of satisfy my personal consumption needs. It's a good place to be at where you can just completely you yeah. know, make up for where you don't have to go buy any. I mean, that's where I think a lot of the people in the cheap home grow are trying to get to if they're not already there. And if they're there trying to stay at that point, and then maybe um, I think of it, the maximizing thing as just like, it's always good to measure and have goals because you can always improve and get a little bit better. Even if you have like the terpiest, most flavorful, like lowest yielder, like making that like 5% or 1% better each time and just trying to learn it and get a little better. And um, also it's a wonderful medicine. So if you have friends or family who benefit from yeah. cannabis, having extra to be able to just hand out is always nice because even if uh, we don't use it all, it's like a great thing to just, people don't have cannabis gifted to them. <laughs> often yeah. in their lifetime so like when you do that to people it like really has a profound effect on people especially like if you don't know them that well um i was just at an event for my wife's work and um it happened to be a concert and we had like these big packs of fucking joints because we were there with a company like a cannabis group and at the show i just there was like seven joints in each pack and i had 14 on me so right. i was smoking them and i'm like well people around me like not everybody was smoking so I would light one up and just hand it to somebody be like, they'd like try and hand it back to me. I'm like, no, I just fucking hand it around. So I just like, I don't want people to be like, you know, jealous or envious. I'm like, you fucking smoke along with me. Like I got this shit for free anyway. So I might as well right. hand it out and let you enjoy it with me because I don't know. It just makes the whole experience better. There's much smoke on the air. The uh, people at the venue, it was a small venue and like the, uh, even the people performing were like, damn, like San Diego, you guys really bring the smoke in the air. It was a lot of fun. But anyway, I want to. Yeah, no, I think that that's one of the joys of being a, a home grower. Yeah. Um, generally, when I hang out with my friends that that smoke and that don't grow their own, like they don't have to show up with any cannabis. Like we'll smoke all they possibly want, like the whole time. And I mean, it's basically it doesn't cost me anything. I mean, I'm doing this anyways. Like growing cannabis is is my hobby. It's like something that I do. Um, it's also something basically part of my occupation at this point, not to sell it, but to like be up up to date with these things and just sort of understand what's going on in cannabis. Um, so like, you know, having a, a surplus of, of available cannabis flower in particular to, to go through is absolutely one of the joys of being a, a home grower um, with friends that don't. <laughs> 
Yeah. It's the hardest it thing to replace really, too. You can really put a sprinkle on top and make it even better when yeah. you consider at least here in Michigan and a lot of other states, but I can only speak on the state I'm in that I know, but in Michigan where it's legal to gift it, man, I am proud of myself for the fact that I now am the supplier for both of my parents, my mother and my father, and they never pay a dime for it. That makes me feel so good. It makes yeah. me so feel so good that I, I know the source of the medicine that they have. I know that I grew it and there's nothing crazy on it and that I'm able to give back to the, my parents who raised me. I feel like I, you know, owe them something. Right. And to be able to give them medicine and then come back and then tell me, Oh, I like this one. This is the best I've ever had. And, and stuff like that. I couldn't be more proud. You know what I mean? Yep. I could have everyone on the panel and I love you guys, but every one of you guys on the panel could tell me that the weed that you smoked was the best ever. But my dad told me that is the best he's ever smoked in his life. Come on. And that's, I mean, that's what it's all about, man. That's, it's a special moment when you get to connect with uh, your family like that. And I, unfortunately, my family uh, is not the most, at least my parents aren't the most into cannabis. I wish they would have been. And uh, you never know. It's never too late. My mom's still with me, so she might change, but uh, I don't anticipate it. <laughs> but uh, it's really cool to hear that you're able to a connection and, and take care of them in that way, because um as somebody who, you know, I had a great relationship with my parents, it's it's good to give back because if they took care of you, um, if you're fortunate enough to be in that situation, it's always great to be able to give back to your family. So great, great on you, Spartan. It's a, you know, never a bad thing to toot your own horn when you are doing good work out there. So I want to pass it next to uh, Brandon Rust because I know you've got a different take on trying to maximize things because you've done this on the business side of things as well. But even before then, you were kind of um, more on like the, I'd say like home scale and um, your approach was, I really liked when I came out and saw in San Diego, what you were doing here, but now to see it at the commercial form being successful um, at a larger scale is really cool to see. So I'm just curious your take on maximizing the year versus just like a lot of people think about just like, how do I get this crop the best versus like, you know, how do I keep everything in line to do the best so, throughout the whole year? Yeah. So my approach, if you're limited to in space and let's say you just have your one flowering room if you have multiple rooms you can do a perpetual depending on how many rooms you have you can segment that into if you have two rooms you could harvest you know maybe once every four and a half weeks if you have three rooms maybe you can harvest every three weeks um, if you just have the one room i always recommend and it's something that hasn't been talked about running the all the varieties that you want to run in that particular room and, you know, knowing prehand what you're going to do for your plant maintenance, because every variety is different as far as like the growth and stuff. But the reason why I don't like to rotate things in me specifically is because the temperature and RH difference, because I have a scale at which um, the VPD fluctuates. And so I'll have higher temperature and humidity earlier on in the cycle. And then I'll, uh, you know, I'll slowly decrease that over time. If I take a plant that's in veg that has, you know, maybe 80% humidity and I'm putting in it into a room where I have to constantly keep it at, you know, like 50 because I have stuff that's, that would be flowering and be in different stages of growth, you know, it would work. Uh, to, it's kind of a disadvantage because you can't, you know, really dial that environment in uh, to that specific cultivar. And so you, you're going to, you know, 
you're not going to be able to maximize the genetic potential of the plant. And you're not going to be able to change the, you know, you're going to have to keep your temps and find stuff that works at that, that temp, you know. What are some like temps and RHs that you would feel like are too high for certain stages of like later flower you want to avoid for oh, well, mildew or whatever? Yeah. So one, it's also contingent on cultivar because if you have a variety, let's say like Bicket OG that has really low uh, leaf to calyx ratio. So it has a lot more flower and then it's also distributed over a longer period of, of space. Like the buds aren't super fat. There's a lot of them, but there's, they're just spaced out further. You're going to have better resistance to things like, uh, you know, mildews and botrytis and thing, things of that nature. But if you get something like maybe like, you know, Afghani bull rider, for instance, that's really, really fat. You can't have those in temperature and humidity and at, at 70 or, or 68, even you have to bring those down. There's varieties like that have really heavy, uh, you know, uh flowering sets that get really dense pretty quickly and you need to be able to mitigate your your uh uh excess humidity in those in those situations so that that could be one of the factors that you know you would want to look at in in that case that you were looking to either cultivate all at once or rotate things in and pull out yeah, I agree. If if it's expensive for you to get your RH down, I think basically it's a relative humidity issue, right, Brandon? Like you can tolerate a higher relative humidity earlier in the, the flowering period than you're willing right. to tolerate later in the flowering period. Yeah, because if you were to look at like my charts, right, for my SOPs, we're starting off with pretty relatively warm, humid environments. Yeah. And, and the plant likes that. And, and especially in the soil environments, those types of environments, uh, they expedite the nutrient cycling process and, you know, that whole bio, all the biological functions sure. it just has more energy. Right. And so, and so when we're looking at yeah. that perspective, it's better, but we have to mitigate that humidity and we have to keep the temperature obviously to keep in, in our VPD in range, but that, that goes down over time and we're ending at maybe depending on cultivar anywhere between 45 and 55 percent RH. Right. But see, I guess where I'm just sort of rubbing up against, I would talk about it differently. I don't think that you're really doing it for VPD reasons. Like the, the optimal VPD for the plant's transpiration doesn't really change during the flowering period at all. But no, no, we're just decreasing those temperatures and those humidity because yeah. more moisture in the air especially when those when those things peak right if you have a system where your lights turn off instantly and they don't ramp down right the load uh the, the water will condense right if there's a large amount of humidity as soon as that that water vapor in the air is rapidly cools it condenses if the that plant drops, that plant yeah. gets that that plant registers that and those microclimates that are created around the phylosphere, around the, those ca those calyxes that are tightly. Well, now that together. depends on sort of how you're managing climate. But let me just finish what I was saying in terms of like VPD is important in terms of transpiration. Most of the rest of the things that, that we manipulate climate for isn't because of VPD. It's because of, in, in this case, when we're dealing with the, the risk of, of mold and, and bud rot, primarily because of relative humidity and the effect of lowering the relative humidity does increase the VPD 
but we're not doing it because we want a higher VPD. We're, we're doing it because we want a lower relative humidity. Um, yeah, but, but what I'll do is if I'm decreasing my humidity, I also decrease the temperature. That way I stay within that range, but I'm mitigating that excess moisture in the air. You know what I'm saying? Because if I'm decreasing RH, I'm decreasing That's the not, temperature. But, but I think you're putting VPD into the driver's seat of your grow, and I wouldn't. I think temperature is still more important than chasing VPD. So I would still have temperature set for optimized growth, and I would have relative humidity decreased for to mitigate bud rot. And that ends up having the effect of raising VPD. So VPD yes. doesn't but stay the same. VPD goes up. Um, yeah, but that's not how I that's not how I cultivate though. Because the way that I'm doing it is like when we get further into flowering, the temperature slowly decreases with the humidity as well. So the VPD will actually stay the same. And it's not. I'm not doing it just. Be, I'm doing. It's, it's like all. It's all correlated, right? You know. And that way, I don't create you know uh, a dynamic with my water situation if they're transpiring more um then well, there's other reasons to lower to... the temperature like you might want to bring out more color and preserve yep. more of the terpenes yep but there's reasons to keep the temperature higher too for maximizing and, and i don't think and i don't think that keeping vpd the same is sort of going to be one of the more important things about managing climate during flower um vpd generally goes up during flower in, in most grows even if you are lowering the temperature i don't think it's worth lowering the temperature enough to to maintain vpd when you're dropping well, your temperatures down to 45 percent or something i, I just well, don't see the benefit there for the if plant. you're if you're starting you know your 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 temperatures at around 84 and then you end at 75 it's it's not that drastic uh, you know, of a swing over a eight or nine week, you know. Yeah. Okay. Sure. Um, but I mean, if you're doing that and you're going from 75% humidity to 45% humidity, and you're only lowering the temperature from like 84 to 75, then your yeah, VPD is yeah. going up. It, it is going up. It's increasing okay. during that time, but yeah. but we're still staying in. What I'm saying is we're still staying in an optimal range. It's like the green range, right? Oh, yeah. For the, the plant. I'm sorry. I was I was getting my thought confused on what you were saying. Um, yes, you are right. It, the VPD is decreasing. However, we're still within that that target range. Increasing. That's optimal. The VPD is increasing when the relative humidity goes down. If everything else stays the same and the relative humidity goes down, VPD goes up. Yeah. So uh, to take a little quick change of pace, I want to get onto the seed side of things. And sorry, Brandon, that wasn't, that was, I mean, hopefully, you know, educational for everybody to sort of hear us banter about. Yeah. And I just smoked a bong hit. So <laughs> good stuff. Well, Kyle, Breeder, yeah. I want to bring you into, oh, go ahead, Tal. Oh, I was just going to say, uh, I was going to chime in on the uh, perpetual and keeping your rooms packed out. It's, it's all math and logistics, pretty much. Even if you're starting seeds, like you're saying, you know, you could have, uh, even if they're regular seeds and you want four females and like uh, you just overdo it. So if you figure half and half, you start eight, you're going to get four females, but you want to start 10. So hopefully you get five females in case there's that one that you were referring to. That's a slow runner or, a, 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 you know, a crazy stretcher. You, you find, you know, you have more to choose from. 
So there's ways around everything. But it, I met, I remember a med, med crop, medicrapper interview where he's just like, yeah, it's just meds. If you need 100 plants to fill a room, you got to take at least 100 clones. And you want to take more for loss and whatever. And you just, uh, you know, go about it that way. Keep but, the winners, the best ones for sure. That's, I think. Yeah, the ones that'll give you that, con- you know, the, the canopy you want and the you know the ones that are doing the best yeah and just overcompensate with a little bit extra 20 percent or whatever it might be i don't know but and i do like uh brandon russ point about the um like i would rather have the perpetual i i would rather have a, a space for each per part of the perpetual you know like harvest that whole spot and then have another area but if you can't you can keep it within uh you know a, a happy medium and I, I've done that before, too. So I would, wouldn't discourage it all the way. But yeah, just err on the side of lower RH, right? Because then the stuff later in flower will be fine. And the stuff earlier in flower just won't be. As right. And if productive. you know, you actually don't. Yeah, I don't change my temperature at all. And I just reduce humidity on the, the plants humidity, when, they're, when they're in the, a week to go. When it's a week to go, I'll bring it down to 50 percent. And the, the first day in flowering, I mean, people are afraid to spray their plants i spray water on i could spray you could spray water on those you know when they're first adjusting to the flower area maybe spray them once extra or something but um yeah you could do it that way but yeah optimally i like filling the four a tent and then two weeks later filling another tent or whatever it is four weeks later whatever it is you know to offset whatever you want to do and yeah it's all math and mathematics and logistics pretty much and if you got the clones then it's even you know you know the time it's going to take that's the when it counts factor. the real the real kick in the balls yeah. because that's where you're oh. like oh yeah i'd love to pop 20 seeds and just keep the best too but tell me uh, failed math class i mean i don't know what to say about that no. believe me every time every time i get a politician in front of me or a regulation person every time i bring up plant count and how stupid it is and how it needs to be canopy space every time <laughs> that's my number well, one, one of the funny things is now technically if you are just starting seeds or you have plants and veg you could get busted with more plants than you're supposed to have, but you could say, hey, I was cultivating hemp and you'd get busted for not cultivating with a hemp permit, which is a much lesser fine than cultivating more cannabis plants than you're supposed to. So keep that in mind, folks out there, because most of your local uh, places aren't sophisticated enough to be able to test the difference between high THC cannabis and hemp. All they can test for is if there's THC in there and most of them aren't going to go through the extra bullshit. So just uh one of those things to keep in mind if you want to start a few more seeds in certain places like i've heard in certain states if it's under six inches it's not a plant yet or if it doesn't have roots yet it's not a plant yet like in michigan uh california unfortunately i think like as soon as it's a seedling it's considered a plant so um we have six if you don't have like special permissions for medical licenses and things like that somebody's going to test this though and say that you know only the flowering plants count at this point basically since the everything else can all be considered them yep yeah. And commercial places can't get away with that very easily, but individual growers probably can. So it'd be interesting because as an individual grower, you could be like, yeah, I'm growing my, you know, six plants and I'm also growing hemp because I like to make my own rope or some crap like that. Right? Or I like, like to make CBD mixes like Sparky yeah. does. He buys hemp and whatever you want it to do, yeah. but that's not a cannabis plant until you flip it to flower. So I mean, this isn't official legal advice, but I do think somebody's going to test this. And it's there's a lot of sort of loopholes people are driving through with this whole farm bill stuff. 
It definitely already have no seeds. We 100% can say seeds have 0% CHC and they're legal in all 50 states, even like Texas and the reddest of states. If you germinate them and decide to grow them as a grower, that's on you. You have to look at your local laws and guidelines and things like that. But for uh, bird seed, for fishing lure, for uh, exotic, whatever. uh, Every time. Preservation purposes, all legal. Every time I've had my seeds confiscated by customs and like it has been multiple times that I've had seeds confiscated by customs. They've dropped a nice little note that let me know that the reason my seeds were confiscated was the lack of an agricultural inspection certificate, not because they were like contraband or cannabis or anything else. It's always been in California, at least the lack of an agricultural inspection certificate. So and that, that's just that's a significant thing, I think, because all of the legal avenues. Yeah, well, and also, you know, as as cultivation happens more often, this is probably going to become more and more of an issue you know like with the hemp clones being or hemp clones <laughs> cannabis clones are being sent <laughs> as hemp already and hoplite viroid is literally being shipped across inter, like internationally like they have gg4 in europe and uh i could tell you it's like verifiable from the, the sources that i know on both ends of it so new, it's a new, uh, new age plant aids epidemic it's crazy yeah, that, my, that it has spread and we didn't a lot of it because we had to get it it wasn't all illegal at that time. People were doing it through means that wouldn't have been approved by the regulators or the local commissions that like Matthew is referring to right now that do prevent a lot of this stuff from spreading in regular ag and horticulture. So it's interesting. It's to a see tough, it's a tough balance. It's a tough balance to strike, you know, same with oranges and, and citrus and things. So. I, I have a question for you, Matt. So the, the viroid being latent, on its you know symptoms and the things that it, it expresses as far as the phenotypic variations when it's flowering or whatever happens um it is can that latency come like happen in testing as well like you could test for it and and come back negative but the plant actually ha- have it because it's not expressing any of those particular sets of like genes in that particular area where you like took your tissue from it would depend on what your what exactly the the test is testing for but yeah basically you can have a situation where like the chances of like of um detection not occurring you know because it's based on usually you know um some aspect of the genetic code of the hoplite and viroid it's nothing to do with the plant itself so you think it could be like in one part of the plant that's like less that's like more susceptible yeah. or there's something there's wrong like less of it. it in the less less viral load in the tissue for example yeah i've heard that to be true as well yeah that's my understanding although I'll, i want to be honest and say that like um i'm not sure this is a really well understood facet of um you know when i say not well understood i just mean like you know where is the delimiting line for different kinds of tests but yeah. yes essentially that is a too- part of the problem I wonder too is if like you know you were talking we were talking about how you know different types of microbes can pick up DNA of similar species and then become like pathogenic and stuff like that. Oh, I sure. wonder I wonder or like you know uh, switch or off even the eDNA from the environment from other organisms but yeah. Um if the the virus could uh can it also be transmitted uh, through other bacteria, do you think, and then like live in soil and shit like that? 
There, there's a, a research report that I shared a few months ago, and I talked about it on my YouTube channel, Zentanol, on my uh, hoplite and viroid or viroid biology video, that there seems to be research that shows that there are viroids that can be taken up by, um, by fungi, for example, some of which were pathogenic, and then they were also able to vector it to plants. Not this particular viroid. There are other viroids out there, but like, it just shows it's possible. It should, it, yeah, yeah. It seems which more is, plausible. Which yeah. Which, which means is scary. It's probably possible, which sucks. Yeah. Uh, some other people were talking about um, uh, recently uh, the potential vector through water. And I guess, you know, and through the root system. And I, I suppose that I think that that also is considered possibly plausible, but I'm not remembering um, who said that. So I don't want to be like, you know, misguiding anyone, but um, it would make sense to me from a physical contact perspective because it seems like it can the contact of the roots is like similar to the contact of the leaves that we know does transfer the mechanical transfer from one plant touching another, right? Or yeah. scissors cutting a plant and then cutting another plant and having it transfer that way. I was also thinking, just as we were talking about the testing, maybe showing negative if it was infected that morning, for example, versus like a week ago or a month ago then the total viral load might be like at the top of the plant where another plant that had hoplite viral like touched it or the cut was taken to uh, start another clone or whatever with maybe dirty scissors. And if you took your sample for hoplite and viroid from like the bottom of the plant or the top of the plant that was far enough away and it just happened that day, maybe, maybe then it would show negative. But if it had been infected for a week or a month, you're more likely to get the detection potentially because... Um, to my understanding, it's not systemic. It, it is like localized and it starts to spread throughout the plant. Eventually it'll go through the whole plant, but it's not like one of those things that uh, as soon as part of it gets it, the whole plant is impacted or affected. And I think I might've mentioned this on another show, but I've seen studies that are saying this viroid, hoplatin viroid can be as much as a 50% reduction in yield, which that is like anything but latent, but it'd be difficult to say until the very end, um, I guess. But yeah, that, that'll make a lot of people learn how to identify and um, work around this because if you're going to get half of what you're expecting based on this potentially uh, that's going to be a huge deal and the industry is going to be paying lots of attention I i'm seeing tons of talk on like the amount of it in seeds and how to sterilize people are saying like use 10 to 20 percent bleach versus uh, hydrogen peroxide and other things like that but there's a lot of talk that's the good thing that's their silver lining is now everybody's talking about it now everybody's taking more precaution and what they're doing and hopefully We'll stop spreading these future viruses too. You know, these yeah. practices will be picked up, these SOPs, and people will be more careful. Just stay in house, man. Don't let anything into your grow. Stop all stop all alien intrusion. Hey, you bring in seed, Tao. I know. <laughs> some uh, velvet punch go your way. And 10% potentially is uh some study is saying 10% of hoplite and viroid comes from seed potentially. Uh, according to some study, but I feel like, like Matthew has mentioned in the past, it's really difficult to actually parse out and really well, prove that back. But yeah, they don't know and, enough. It feels like, and you know, to want, well, yeah, and to introduce a little bit more levity to the situation because we sure need it. Um, you know, there seem there may in fact be, and I think there, there there's been. I think uh, Kevin McKern has talked about this. Um, the potential for cannabis plants that have some level of resistance um, to hoplite and virate. That doesn't mean like it's a sort of expelling it from the body or anything, uh, but it could go a long way to like maybe stopping spread or making other sorts of incompatibilities 
possible. Not as much of a reduced yield. Like maybe some are Or 50%, even that, exactly. Just tolerance 50%. of the pathogen. Yeah, if it, if it gets 10. into the plant, but it does nothing. Yeah, exactly. Like uh, then it's not nearly the, the crop killer that it would be before. And that's good enough, um, you know, compared to what you said the alternative is. I will say this, the um, most of it, I would say, is probably being spread through clone at this point. Most of us would admit if it is possible. Yeah. It, it seems like it's possible from seed, but it's happening in a smaller amount. And to give Kyle a chance to jump in here as a seed maker, we we're talking about maximizing our harvest throughout the year. As somebody who makes seeds for your business, I'm curious kind of what your process is to try and make sure you're staying in stock with your seeds. Like, how do you line everything up to make sure that you're always able to uh, keep the people out there who want your seeds in stock with them? Because a lot of people like myself grow new seeds every time and maybe don't keep cuts and want to rebuy that pack that they grew last time that was really fire and don't want to grow it out again. So what are your uh, thoughts on getting the most production throughout the year as a seed maker? All right. Yeah, I mean, I think it's just, I mean, it's a little bit hard for, uh, I guess, depending on what state you live in and what your laws are. Um, but, um, you know, for me, it's just always trying to uh, do batches in uh, like four week intervals. So like I'll, I'll plant some stuff in four weeks and then, uh, you know, four weeks later, I'll just terminate something new. And then just to the point where uh, I feel uh, it's manageable. I'm not going to go into like numbers and, and what I do just for certain reasons but uh uh you know and for me i just uh i try and just do uh what's the, well here's the thing right when you're doing regs it's a lot easier because when, basically when they just get like uh know, maybe two feet tall or even when just depending on uh how tall they get really too because obviously you know i have like height spaces because uh, I, I use tents multiple tent setups uh, I'll just flip them right away. And then and for regs, it's easier because you just let the male do its thing. Um, but typically in those scenarios, you want to go a little heavy because you're probably going to have some varieties that you don't really want or that don't really, uh, you know, you don't really want to bring forth into uh, the next generation. Uh, when stuff that's like heirloom or kind of rare, uh, like with what I'm doing now, like the skunks and the uh, the gazing seeds, um, I typically will like, uh, call the mutants and, uh, you know, things that maybe aren't doing too well, but for the most part, I try and keep everything there. So that way I keep everything kind of pure, um, in that regards, but with, with feminized seeds, it's a little bit trickier because you only get uh, one shot at it. And, uh, you know, so for anybody that's trying to maximize seeds with maybe feminized breeding, um, you know, the goal is to ensure that you have a female that you know is going to dump on because, uh, I mean, a few mistakes last year, where I had like these uh, four by eight, four by eight tenths full. Uh, and I kind of was like, and it was a very foolish move, but I was kind of relying on the fact that uh, a female that I had reverted in the past would almost do just as well, but I was trying a new product and I basically had two uh, full grown females that reverted, but didn't give a single hair of pollen. And I lost like an entire, like five months of work uh, because of that. So I think for anybody that's trying to maximize if that's kind of what we're talking about is, to ensure whatever product you are using to reverse the female, that that female does have a very good potential of dumping enough pollen so that you're not in a position where you lose everything. Because, uh, I mean, it's just a lot of time to try and prep and to time and to ensure that, you know, you know, especially with the, you know, you're trying to, you got to spray the, you know, the ones that you are spraying have to go into flower first. And then you're trying to time everything with that. And then you got to put them into the other 10. And then if you're trying to do like for me, typically I'll, I'll probably spray, 
uh, I'll have like four separate tents with multiple different, uh, maybe sometimes even like the same, like let's say I have like a blueberry, a strawberry, a cherry type female. I'll have each of those in each tent, but I'll have, you know, two other tents with the sprayed females and I'll uh, maybe combined a little bit in each one. So I have just uh, a good variation of multiple different crosses going through everything. But I mean, the key for max for maximize, if you're feminized breeding is just to ensure that you have females that really work. And then at, at that point, it's just you kind of timing it. Uh, but for, for me right now, uh, I'm starting to get into more uh, heirloom stock. So like I have like tons of stuff that all you guys are like, like I just got really lucky and it's not my, uh, my doing. Like I just got some sense some really good stuff from like a lot of Vietnam vets and stuff uh, a few years ago uh, from like 1970, 1960, 1980. They're like old film canisters and a lot of them on Germany. And something that's really cool, it's a little bit off topic that I just want to sh uh, shut out because I got to leave at eight. But uh um, I was talking to somebody that like specializes in tissue culture and all that stuff. And basically what they're saying, and I didn't know this, so maybe I'm foolish for not knowing it before. Maybe you guys already know this, but you can have a, a seed that's extremely uh, dormant. It has, it's, you know, uh, and as long as the embryo inside, if it's intact, it has zero stored energy, meaning it won't germinate. So, you know, typically in the past when I would germinate seeds and they wouldn't grow, it's like, oh, they're junk. Well, there are ways to reintroduce energy into those embryos and make them grow again so for anybody that is listening or anybody that's on this panel and doesn't know or maybe you do know if you have seeds that aren't germinating but they're something that you really care for or like uh, don't throw them away because maybe i would hope in the maybe next 10 years uh, they'll have things for maybe home growers or ways that uh, we have as home growers have access to these like agar gels and stuff that you can reintroduce those seeds and still grow them because i was like tossing shit but now i know i just hold on to everything so uh, you can, that was you can cool. buy those kits right now. Like there's a couple tissue culture labs on Instagram that like sell kits uh, with the right hormones and things like that. I, I'd even seen yourself in the past with your like 80s and 90s seeds use, I think it was 150 part per million was your best rate, but you tried like 50, 100 and 150 yeah, yeah. PPM. Yeah, that's, that's stuff, that stuff definitely works. But I always thought that maybe you were still searching for maybe one or two out of the 10 that was had potential to germ. I guess what I was kind of didn't know was like you could have a seed that has will never germinate, but with, with upcoming technology, you can still get them to germinate. And I just thought that part was really cool. You know, cause I was always, I'd find 10, I'm like, oh, eight didn't, two did, the other eight must be trash. Well, no, those eight will still go. You just need to have the right, the right formula uh, and then gels. And uh, a lot of that stuff, you have to go way beyond uh, those. Uh, what was I using? I forget what that product, what you said, that product that I was using. Uh, GA3, uh, gibberellic yeah. acid. Yeah, yeah, you have to go a little deeper into that kind of stuff. Um, but yeah, that's, that's what, what they use in, in tissue culture. It's a lot of hormones. I've been looking into right. it myself. I, I'm very fascinated with the process and it's a lot of hormones, really. That's you're just gibberellic is helps with germination. That's one of them. But they're doing stuff to stunt hormones too, to keep them really tiny in like test tubes essentially and preserve it. And um, they're also doing things to clean it up. But there's a lot of really good tissue culture people out there. If you look into it, uh, a lot of people are sharing good information on that. So I also want to ask this one quick question before I welcome Noah Vigro into the room because he just jumped in here. Kyle, you mentioned um, you had a pheno that dumped one time, but then you changed sprays. Um, I'm sort of of the, if it ain't broke, don't fix it sometimes philosophy. Yeah. But what spray worked and what spray failed you? So uh, STS is trying and true, but man, is it a hassle, dude? Because you got to spray like every third day. And like, especially if you're like in your house, you know, and like, depending on what, you'd have to have almost like a, a trash pen because you're not going to want to have where you're spraying STS. You're not going to have uh, your flowering bud that you're going to maybe want to smoke in that same tent. So just between like having a dedicated area, you're spraying every third night and 
obviously if it's a little bit bigger than two feet well like you know the ones i had were like four or five feet so like you're making tons of concoctions and it's like this whole mix ratio and you're adding the thing it's like a 20 minute endeavor and then you're doing it every third night it's, just, it's like a, just a wicked long process and a lot of work and a lot of chemicals so and that was but it works right so but when i found this other product it's just a one spray and done and man when you're trying to breed and you just have tons of cuts and cultivars and rotations and timing and all this stuff going on that one shot deal is like uh the great the, the best thing since sliced bread man so like uh i changed it and obviously that's the problem it's basically what the specific cultivar i'm talking about is New England rock candy uh she's very uh man she's just very picky um and i've been trying to get s1 seeds from her for a while uh, but i haven't gone back to scs but i think that's because i mean i think you basically need to kill her in order to get something for it because she's like just so stubborn uh but um but yeah scs works and i think the other uh, the other stuff i mean i think i've kind of said in the past but that uh, elite x uh, it works pretty well for the most part. Uh, I've had a few issues with it, but um, it, it works. So, All right. Well, I want to give Noah the Groa a chance to jump in and introduce himself. How's it going, everybody? Uh, sorry I'm late. I'm saying I'm a grandkid, but uh, yeah, just kind of listening and catching up with what you guys are talking about. It's all good, man. That's time well spent uh, with the grandkids for sure. I'm happy that you get to do that. And um, we were kind of talking earlier about maximizing production. When I kicked it over to Kyle, I was obviously kind of focusing on the seed side of things because that's his focus. But the rest of the crew kind of went around sharing their strategies on how to maximize production throughout the year. And um, I was curious if maybe you have any ideas about instead of just focusing on like one harvest at a time, how to get your full calendar year maximized, like the most yield throughout 365 days. Hmm. That's a good question. Uh, man, I, I would, you know, from my point of view, I'm, I'm going to be trying to just constantly be rotating everything in, you know, new clones, transplanting, you know, just, uh, every single, when you pull light down, try and be vigilant about trying to get it done that day, because it can be a lot of work to pull, pull down a light, even just one, and then get that area cleaned up get everything in there, get it in the net, you know, and if you've got a, on the other backside, transplant something from a one or a two into a five or a seven, just so that, you know, cause even just one day, I was just talking about this other day. If you miss one day, every single light, you know, it's two, two months, you know, roughly at six days, at, you know, a year you miss, you add that up over, you know, 10 years and you're talking two months you missed. So, just constantly just rotating it, just constantly doing the work, you know, it, nothing glamorous, just uh, the stuff that you're supposed to do, just doing it on time would be the trick that I would tell someone to do. Do you work like on a particular schedule though? Like, do you work back on the time? Like, are you thinking like, oh, I've got to take cuts X amount of weeks or is it more based on like, okay, this is finishing up in flower. I've got stuff in my bedroom and when it's at a certain space, cause to keep, it's sort of like a factory, you know, at a certain process, like yeah. you, know, you got to keep it all rolling, but um, there is timing involved with it too. And I I've noticed where um, the struggle for me tends to be sometimes the difference in the seasons where in the summer things tend to grow a little bit quicker. So I am yeah. shortening up my veggies a little bit. And in the winter, things are just a little bit slowed down. Uh, I am mitigating that now that I've got one of those heat mats that you can uh, adjust the temperature with like a dial. I don't know why I was so cheap and waited so long to get one of those. Wicked smart move, Jack. My old heat yeah. mat, man, it fried the shit out of things. And I tried to yep. like wrap it up with towels or do other things to yep. work. But once I got that one with the uh, probe on it, 
man, it makes things a whole lot easier because um, not that San Diego's freezing, but I don't have air conditioning and we don't really run the heat. So uh, when it's, you know, in the fifties outside and it's, you know, fifties or sixties in my house, then the plants aren't going to be very happy. So throwing a heat mat underneath the tray, getting them up into the seventies is like much, much happier plants. So uh, I don't know why I really cheaped out on that for a long time, but it was one of those things that I thought maybe I could get by without because a lot of the year things grew pretty well. But then when you start actually looking at the calendar, like Noah's talking about, like just a couple of days and the way he was doing the math, like over years, it really adds up. But even on the single year, it can uh, add up on basically knocking off a harvest. Like I've had years where I've gotten five crops in. I've had years where I've gotten four crops in and I've had years where I got three crops in. It all just depends on how efficient I am at getting all those things done. And um, it, not necessarily like the five crop years were the most yield. Sometimes I'd veg smaller and I get shorter plants and be a little bit less yield each time. And there comes a balance, I guess, in trying to get the optimal thing for your particular grow area and, and cultivars and all that stuff. So it's good to hear you mainly just focusing on the diligence end of the things and uh, doing all the stuff that you're supposed to do because it uh, doesn't have to be glamorous, but that can be uh, what gets the job done. And I think we've talked about stuff like this in the past, but repetition is important. I think it helps people learn. We don't just... Uh, if you read something once, it's easy to forget. But if you hear about it uh, once, twice, three times, four times, it uh, sets in a little bit more. And uh, it makes it a little bit easier for people to uh, learn these types of things and, and realize why they're important and maybe even just be reminded if, if they're slacking like myself. And when you start to do everything right, or at least try your best to do everything right, it's amazing how things start to work out. And I'm seeing that now because when you go through everything and, and do it the right way, uh, the plants are much happier. And when you don't do it, it's... um humbling because the plants will tell you you know they'll either grow slower or in some cases they'll like start to look ugly you know they'll get like yellow tips or burnt leaf or whatever like curls and uh, other things and they'll start to tell you like hey we're not happy so but that said kyle i know you said that you had to leave at eight it's coming up to the five o'clock hour here on the east yeah. uh, west coast so that means it's about eight on the west coast over there or east coast i should say so go ahead and give your uh, final thoughts and shout outs Dude, that heat mat is the devil, bro. I just literally tried because it's getting cooler uh, in Massachusetts right now. So I'm trying to figure out how to heat my uh, my garage, uh, which I'll situate. But uh, yeah, so I was like trying to germinate seeds because they weren't really germinating because it was cold. So I used that same damn heat mat with no probe. And I had like eight shirts. I'm like trying to layer it up. So I had like just a perfect temp and I still cooked them, man. It's like, uh, yeah. And, and I found out they make that probe, the compatible probe with that thing. I think that's probably the way to go. I mean, you can just set that thing and uh, make it perfect. But uh, yeah, I had some issues with that too. Um, but don't trust the probe. I use the laser temp gun. So like my probe is actually set to like 90 or something. Yeah. Because my temp gun, that's what makes it so that the uh, like soil and plant temperature is in the 70s. So you just kind of got to figure out for your environment what right. actually the, the temperature really is versus what it is telling you that it's going to be. And it depends on where right, you place right. the probe as well. So, <laughs> right. um, yeah, uh, always, again, always glad to be here, guys. Uh, apparently, I haven't really talked about this, but I, hopefully, come April, I start that uh, that grower job. Um, I'm a director of cultivation at a ten thousand square foot facility. Hopefully, the you know the town just is real slow with the approvals, and where it used to be like an old uh, fruit warehouse, like there's a bunch of farmlands out nearby. And I guess, you know, that we took it over and we're making it into uh, isolated, uh, you know, like a climatic growth space. So hopefully April it happens, I can finally quit my uh, my day job because I'm kind of sick of being an electrician. But uh, so I pray for that. But uh, other than that, still 
so trying to give seeds to the community. I had, again, I had some uh, Ghazni and skunk seeds coming out uh, in probably, I want to say, six weeks. You know, they started dumping pollen today, maybe four, well, maybe four or five weeks of maturation, and then, you know, maybe two weeks of what I do to kind of get them ready. It's maybe six, seven weeks. Uh, but those are really cool, really cool stuff. The Ghazni seeds are super identical, these wicked long, beefy, massive, like, true Afghani leaves. It's really cool to watch these things grow, man, and the, the, and the stems are, like, Jesus, like the size of my thumb, and they're not even that big, you know. They're like two foot tall. It's just, it's just such, so different in uh, like pure plants. Uh, and the skunks there are just are pretty cool too. Just really different uh, terpene profiles on those. I'm kind of happy to or excited to see what those are like in flower, uh, full on flower at least in like week two or three. Uh, but those will be available at purebreeding.com. Kind of like uh, you know, so if anybody's interested, I do have a, a sale going on right now. Coupon code pure. Uh, it's 20% off everything. If you basically whatever you grab is 20% off. You just type that in. Um, and yeah, cool stuff coming. Trying to work on stuff, trying to get new stuff out there. I'm going to bring up some more old stuff for everybody. Uh, I think it's just, you know, it's just pretty cool stuff to kind of get into. I like the older stuff. But uh, anyways, I'll stop blabbing. But happy everyone's still doing well, man. Uh, I'm glad to see all you guys' faces every week. And uh, I'll see you guys on Sunday. Have a good one, Kyle. Girl, love Kyle. Take care, guys. So on the on, spirit of seed production talk, and I was talking at the top of the show about how I just got my Bokashi Earthworks package from Brandon in the mail after uh, the post office lost the first one, unfortunately. But uh, he promptly replaced it. And within that, he had a seed pack in there, which was high divorce rate from My Name is Earl, which is like a wedding case, wedding cake BX4, I think, crossed to uh, Das Funk or something. And then you cross that to Limelight, Brandon. And one thing I've noticed is your seeds tend to sell out quite frequently whenever you list them on the site. And I know it, it seems like more of a hobby or, or craft thing at this point. And I'm wondering if you're planning to at any point maybe expand your seed production and maybe go more full tilt into that side of things and getting your genetics out into the world because uh, I've been impressed by the stuff that you've created, the the clones from the Limerilla and um, just getting excited to pop some of the seeds that you've sent me so far. But um seeing a lot of really good results from people all across the world growing it and i'm curious what are your thoughts and plans for the future with your seed production and what's your kind of current seed production like yeah so um nothing i don't have any huge plans on expanding that uh what i do is find stuff that i uh like and all the stuff that i released as that uh, from that last black lime reserve um, you know, the main thing that I wanted to get out of that was to put that back onto the uh, Limerilla. And, you know, I, I work this, this, uh, this line. I've been working it since 2014 or 15, 2015, I think. Um, and it's Gorilla Glue times Black Lime Reserve. So I have Gorilla Glue. I have a really awesome Black Lime Reserve male that I selected that I used on all those crosses. I, I can see the characteristics that it adds. Um, and I've been, you know, so I'll recreate the Limerilla and then I'll select another male. I'm just doing a bunch of line breeding with that Limerilla and all the different lime lines. Uh, and I'm going to keep doing that. And then I also have the... Uh, the gas v2 f2 line that i've been working um and i haven't really released any of that except i did do the back cross into starfighter so the whole thing is mac and starfighter 
So it's gas, a pheno of gas that I personally selected. Um, I crossed that into, if gas, by the way, is Mac 1 crossed into Starfighter. So I took that, crossed that into the Mac V2 mail that I used for my Blueberry Train Mac and a couple other stuff that I never released. And then um, I F2'd that. So it's gas V2, F2, and... I have that, and then Capulator sent me uh, up like 200 of the original uh, F1 Mac 1 Starfighter uh, crosses. So that's a project, and then my Blueberry Train Mac project. So I have three different projects, but I'm not going to be producing any seeds. Um, whatever's on the website right now, that's it for a pretty a pretty significant amount of time. Because I'm going to be running through a lot of what I created, finding stuff that I really like out of those lines to progress. So it's going to take me a while to search for exactly what I'm looking for. So I'm not going to be really producing any seeds for a while. Hey, that's all right, man. I mean, you've got a lot of other stuff going on. And I think that was kind of more like, um, if I could call it a hobby, even though it's making you probably some money on the side, I don't want to like uh, belittle it because I, I respect you a lot as a breeder, but it, it seems like of your actual businesses, that is more of a hobby, I would say, um, than compared to the Bokashi and the actual consulting and growing uh, side of things. So I'm happy that you're even putting any of them out there because a lot of people that are doing that kind of thing just kind of keep it in house and they show off these beautiful cuts and things and maybe no one gets access to them so i'm happy that there's you're a, actually there's a lot of transitioning going on bokashi earthworks is in a phase right now where you know we've been you know profitable and been growing since you know we we incorporated and right now there's this fpep thing going on so it's a it is government money uh, in a grant form for the it's a fertilizer uh, expansion program what they're looking for is american producers that can produce uh, alternative forms of fertilizer other than what's currently being offered by conventional ag and uh, they're looking for you know it fits right in so i'm having some i'm gonna have a company uh, write up the grant for me uh, do all the proposals they're a professional company that they do i really hope it goes well for- the I, carbon first fertilizer wouldn't that be perfect for that what's that your carbon-based fertilizer wouldn't that be perfect for that program well this is going to be the yeah it it i i have a better chance with the bokashi though because the bokashi because oh, really? yeah because there's certain key points that they really want to focus on and part of that is uh carbon you know carbon sequestration uh and the recycling aspect right because part of this money is i think part of you know, trying to find sustainability and to get off the resilience of other countries, uh, raw materials for fertilizers. And so when we take waste from other industries, like we're doing, cause we were, we've been, we've been doing all the trials to scale out large waste and then also using coffee as an alternative substrate to peat. Um, and so it's, those are the types Starbucks on every corner. So you can have a fucking Bokashi in every and- corner. And here's the thing. My business partner already has exclusive uh, rights to all of Nestle, Starbucks, and another really large coffee uh, producer. So they get both wow. of the spent grain and they also get all of the chaff and all the, the, the pre-green waste before the roasting and, and, and that material too. So um, to be able to take that, and that has huge, massive carbon content. We've done all the heavy metals testing, nutrient testing, 
um, you know, how much carbon these things uh, are, are emitting from, you know, off gassing. And that gives us the, the breakdown of, or it gives us a, a, an idea of how, how far they've composted and break broken down. Yeah, it helps that you're using a food product because you know it's probably going to pass a lot of the you know yeah. nasty stuff already because it's a food product. Well, you a- general question about the company because um, I'm always surprised whenever I, I'm like contact, get contacted and it's not you. Mm-hmm. Uh, how many employees do you have going over there? Because I feel like I've reached out and been contacted oh. by a couple of different people now. So it's kind of yes. cool to see it growing. So there is uh, five people. And then we have two uh, contract employees that just do contract work. Nice. So, I mean, you know, putting money but, inside but people's on, pockets. But honestly, honestly, you know, that's just my immediate, you know, because I have, you know, I have business partners as well. You know, that's how Balkashi has been able to grow. Like that work that have synergistic business relationships, um, you know, and that's how I've been able to scale up the composting. Because my business partner already has 40 acres of composting facilities. And so, that's what they're looking for. They're looking to minimize waste. They're looking at recycling. We're looking at uh, carbon reduction and getting carbon back into the soil. And I meet every single criteria. So when we're looking at it from a, uh, like a grant writer's perspective, they'll tell you, they're like, look, this, this doesn't look good because they want to get you money because they're going to get, you know, paid uh, when grants come through. And the grants are there for a reason, you know, they're actually trying to accomplish what they're set out to do. And it seems like you're actually trying to offer an alternative. I wish you the best of luck on that. But I do want to get back to the seed production kind of thing, because the American one is also a seed maker. And he's recently been featured on Garden. Or if you go to amyaces.com, you can get the amyaces, as well as maybe a few of his other crosses. I know you've got some blueberry crosses in the works. Do you plan to ever scale up your breeding efforts, Tao? I know that it's kind of a and also maybe I don't want to, I'm not trying to belittle it by saying a hobby, but I think like I, I look at hobbies as like a, a beautiful thing, an awesome thing, something that we can put a lot of passion, time and uh, love and maybe even sink, sink money into and, and not worry about it because we love it so much. But uh, at the same time, it can become something that becomes a career. Um, you can become a seed breeder and that could be your whole entire life for some people. So I'm curious what your uh, thought is on seed production generally and where you want to take it moving forward. Yeah, well, um, I pretty much... Uh, made my own seeds because I was unhappy with a lot of the ones that I was trying. But um, then when I when it proved out that it was really legit, I wanted everyone to try it. So I pushed them. And uh, yeah, I feel like um, not to say that they're overpriced, but people don't need to charge that much is my opinion of a lot of seeds. And it is very justifiable and when you get one female grow a plant proper and you'll get your money back whatever 500 dollars back you need or whatever but at the same token you know to, to produce a ton of seed it's not a big um overhead and a big layout so yeah basically i'm going to uh, continue to make yeah, seeds but- but as a seed producer, don't you think like if you're doing it legit, though, Tal, right? And you're really going through and you're like really selecting stuff out and you're and you're growing out progeny and figuring out like what's good and making sure shit doesn't harm. Like, doesn't that equate for something to to the value as opposed because I know that it doesn't like you can produce a lot of seeds, but that I think doesn't that's mean a, they're good. You're right. Value. Yeah, and and I know what you're saying because a lot of these bigger companies I've seen just 
countless times where their gear like herms out or it's not what it expected to be. And it was just, it leaves you like, fuck, man, that really sucks. So I can understand. But also if you're getting, you know, seeds from a real reputable person that, that really does the work, I think that sometimes the price is, is worth it, but you have to be aware of who those people really are. You know, a lot of the best guys sell them for 50 bucks that. a five pack though. That's the fucking, I want to say that, yeah, I mean, I agree with this, uh, this mentality somewhat, but I would also think that, um, at least for me, like, I wouldn't call myself an outsider uh, to cannabis in any way, shape, or form, but I do have exposure and experience to non-cannabis crops and what is considered kind of just basic and standard, not saying that, you know, we shouldn't uh not only sort of punctuate but also sort of share the people who are breeding and breeding well but like not herming not doing like basic problematic stuff being uh consistent and reliable these are like really basic things that you at least honest yeah right right we uh, in cannabis my experience has been and i'm very passionate about this subject in particular in fact i've been holding in a question I wish Kyle was here for too, which was that I was curious um, to what degree do you focus as a breeder in particular on the aspects of traits that make it a good breeding plant rather than the traits that make that you're trying to, 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 to um, uh, select for, sorry. So like, for example, like making yeah. more seeds, for example, that kind of thing. Uh, does let that really me, uh, factor in at all? Yeah, let just me, grow uh, more plants of it if you wanted more seeds of it. That's what I'm thinking, right? But let me say a whole bunch of things. But first, um, yeah, it, it, just recently, I feel I've been humbled because I said I'm going to go find this chocolate. I'm going to, you know, find chocolate flavored uh, progeny. I'm going to cross them. I'm going to, you know, minimize down to a chocolate flavored strain. That's all I cared about. I didn't care what it looked like, how much it yielded. I want a chocolate. So, you know, I started a bunch of stuff and I didn't get any real, real distinct flavors of chocolate. So I just was like, I'm not even going to go. Well, I won't say I'm not going to go searching, but I think what my best, um, what seems to work the best is just growing out different stuff all the time. And when you find something, that's when you find it. You know what I'm saying? It's like going out to the club. You want to go pick up a woman. You go out there trying and not a girl talks to you. You go out there with your boys just to get drunk and some chicks all over you. That's the way the universe works. So when you try too hard, sometimes it seems like they get you. So just do do you. But um, yeah, basically my thing on my career as a seed breeder is I'm continue crossing plants. And if the if the progeny is killer and I, I, and I don't give away a ton so that, you know, find out if it harms. That's another thing Like yeah. The worst thing I think any person could do is sell somebody a $300 pack of seeds and they go home, pop them, and it herms out their garden, man. Like, what the F? That should have, that's yeah. those people. Yeah, that's not good. But how many, testers, how many a, testers should a breeder send out? And to how many people? Like, how many volume of seeds to how many different growers to prove How it important out? is the reputation? You have to keep in mind the fun fact that if you send out a hundred seeds, you might get one or two people to send you feedback. 
I sent out a hundred packs and 50 people grew them. So I I have some good people out there. So shout out to them. I heard most breeders say what Spartan says between one and 10% of the people that get testers actually grow them. 90% fall off the cliff and never respond back. I'm lucky that I hang out with all the growers and I'm lucky that everybody likes Amy Aces because now people pop all the stuff that I send out, which is awesome. But yeah, as long as I know a good reputation. I'll tell people, you know, it might not be the best yielder, but the smoke is killer or whatever the case may be. And if it's not any good, I won't like I won't charge money for anything unless I would pay that money myself. You know what I'm saying? So that's why I was and I was like to keep my uh, yeah, to be able to make more seed, though, you do. It is a little bit of an overhead. And yeah, people should get compensated for their work, but they shouldn't be ripping people off and taking advantage. And yeah, I'll leave it at that. And um. What was the other thing? Oh, yeah. When I go looking, I tried to make the Bruce Banner female, the offspring, you know, more sturdiest. And a lot of times it just doesn't pan out that way. And I believe the only way you find that out is if you go out to progeny and try it all. So, yeah, people that come out with 20 different strains in a matter of a year, like I question if they really tested. And I send my testers out to the guy who never grew a plant before and the guy I know that knows what he's doing and everyone in between, because that's who's going to might end up buying them. So I like to hear the success stories of the people that, man, this is my first grow. This shit's so awesome. It's legit. Thank you. That's like awesome, you know? And, so I'm just curious uh, yeah, if you had to that. put a number on it, like what would you feel? Com- you, I know for a long time you're like, I've never seen Amy Ace's Herm. And that's one that I still haven't seen Herm on anybody. And I've seen a lot of people grow it. Um, Velvet Punch has hermed on people. I sent out a hundred packs to growers, 50 growers grew them and four or five found herms. Now 45 people did not. So roughly 10% of my testers found herms, but each one of those people had what I would consider a stressful situation in the garden. And they like, one of them was like brutal light leaks in the middle of flower. And they had several things herm in that room. Uh, Another one was like just one gallon pot, I feel like it was too large of a plant and too small of a pot personally, but uh, yeah. it, it can happen. So I write that in the description for all the people that I sent out. I don't send out F2s anymore. I've gotten enough feedback. 50 growers is enough for me. I feel like how many more testers am I going to get to you know get more uh, feedback? I feel like most people aren't even doing that many. So that's why I ask. I never hear breeders talk about how many testers they have. Never. No one's ever like, oh, I've got 100 I've got 50. I've got 10. I've got 20. Yeah, I don't um, have most a, of them are like, here's my number. I just send them out to a bunch of people and they usually get back to me on it. And if they don't, then I track them down and ask them, yo, do you ever pop those? What'd you think? And this and that. But um, I, 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 I'll just keep sending them out as testers until I, I grow this stuff out first. There's no way I'm going to like, I sent out testers that I didn't grow, but I told them like, I never even grew this stuff, but here, have at it. And then like this time wreck by blueberry that I just, uh did another run of i'm liking that more and more but yeah so so, but i like to hear from other people if other people say it's legit then i could believe that more than my possibly personal bias and i think that even when you grow in your garden if you made seeds even like subconsciously you're those seeds are getting better attention than the other ones whether you think so or not or even like there may even be a metaphysical energy you give off to them but whatever you know what I'm you like them more they're your babies you 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 literally willed them into existence you took the plants yes. and made them go together and like you literally well, I, yeah. I don't know about you guys but one of my goals in life is to have a garden full of plants that i bred myself that's a goal of mine i want to i want to get there so that's i think that's just would be 
a feather in your hat, right? Or in your cap. Or I agree with that. Um, it the, wasn't a goal of mine until now. <laughs> in the backyard of uh, my parents' house, there is a couple of rose bushes that um, were given to my father like 40 plus years ago at this point. And um, they were, there were like this breeder um, this rose breeder who just kind of had his own breeds that he kept that like he you know he, he would sell them or he would do this for commercial purposes but then he'd keep some of the rejects or some of the ones that he just really liked and these are like the only roses like that at all anymore and I always thought that was a really cool thing it was a really great I mean it was a nice producer this rose very deep dark sort of burgundy velvety rose uh, petal but um you know, I just find that very cool. So I definitely empathize with this idea that like, you know, selecting your own plants or like knowing that you help select it. I did some of this a little bit with uh, peppers when I was younger. Um, nothing like super exciting or even like, to be honest, like sort of reliably consistent, but it was sure fun to do this sort of a thing and to think like, yeah, I, I did that. I created that. I, you know, bred these two plants together and here's the progeny I grew it up right that's such a fun thing to do and can yield some cool interesting uh results sometimes yeah I think that you just said something really important there too Matthew which is consistency when I'm thinking of sort of quality breeding for seeds I think of that more than just like are they gonna herm or how many of them herm like how consistent if you grow 500 of these seeds out in a big you know room how much genetic variability are we gonna see across you know all of the different individual phenotypes highly Um, agree so and and that's what I think I'd like to see more focus on, and not to say, I think you guys, like everybody on this show that does breeding does it better than a lot of people do. Um, but I, I'd like to see that become more a focus of breeding efforts of, of like trying to get really consistent seeds, um, even potentially at the expense of some other things that are often sort of pursued in terms of you know, cannabinoid percentages or terpene profile, things like that. I hear that because a lot of, I think there's a 50-50 split. And I want to say this too. Um, What people want is what breeders, you know, like it depends on what you're breeding for. What people want is fems and autos nowadays. Like those are the big sellers in other countries anyway. And yeah, it's making its way here. Everybody wants fems at least. But um Shit, I just lost my train of thought. But I, I think they want consistency. I oh, mean, yeah, consistency. Some it, people like the variations, and some people want that that clone crop. And yeah, no, right. I don't well, know. There's a, only a handful of people that are really line breeding or inbreeding to get a consistency because that takes time. A lot of time. Like I tell people, there's going to be a lot of time. It takes but volume. It's all going to be good. Yeah, like Doc was good, saying, but, I, I would love to grow 500 velvet punch. Guess what? I can't. I don't have the permits. Small guys like us, home growers, we're not going to be growing 500. So I send them out to 100 people. That's a thousand seeds at uh, 10 packs per 100 people. And I've been stuffing them like town now, more like 20 packs and sending them to the people who grew them. And Spartan Grown is going to be getting some F3s because he grew out the F2s and rewarding those people that actually grew them out and just cutting the people that didn't out because like that's what your testers are supposed to do. I, I grow them to you're back. limited and maybe not even 500, but I mean, you are limited in, in what you can do based on the scale of your setup. 
I think you test different types of things by sending them out to a bunch of different people. Um, you, you test the full range of how the plant's going to perform in different growing environments, how different growing environments and different growing setups and different, you know, farmer behavior is going to affect the crop. I think that that's a really important thing to potentially test, but it doesn't do nearly as good of a job of showing the range of genetic variability because, it, you you know you don't know yeah, if that variability is related to the, the the media and the style of grow or the genetics that, um, that's the kind of fun part of popping a bag a popping a 12 pack or a 10 pack of seeds you get to see a couple different things and there's one you really like that you take a cut of it and then you do your uh however many you want consistent you know all the same but i also want to say that yeah as you as i'm going along here to keep the moms and the dads of the original seed stock that made it, you know, any of them, that's like, yeah, becoming yeah. a more and more of a chore. But, and yeah, I don't know, I don't know how much. Think of this, think of this, Tal. Though, if if everything was bred for consistency, like think the vegetables when you go to the fucking store and buy some vegetable seeds, those are you get the same fucking vegetable every time you plant it. They're pretty damn close. Right. If that was the case in, in cannabis, you wouldn't have to keep moms and dads. You could have a fucking pack of seeds sitting there. Right. With good seeds, I feel how like powerful is, how powerful is that when you have plant count? Yeah. Yeah. How, how yeah. powerful is I mean, that's, that's why too. commercial farms still clone. That's why a lot of people still clone. I mean, if we had consistent yeah. enough seeds. And that's how come we have no variety in our fruits and fruits. We'd have all the same banana, all the same junk, man. No, you can have You can do it better. Don't don't be like that. There's lots of different tomatoes, (laughs) lots of different varieties of tomatoes, but they're all pretty consistent. When you plant a tomato seed, it's going to look like the tomato on the picture of that package of tomato seeds. Like they're pretty good with the tomato seeds. When you buy a cannabis plant, you plant it. It might look nothing like the picture of the cannabis plant. Because F2 F2 is supposed to be where the wild variability comes in. I sent out a thousand F2s and what it taught me was what is consistent and what isn't. 49 out of 50 growers had purple bud with my Velvet Punch F2, which is a pretty distinct characteristic (laughs) that is not always a guarantee. A lot of people claim purple whatever uh granddaddy purple is one that i'm featuring right now in 50 strands of purple that had loss of the parents they rechanged parents and they finally got the stuff back but most i'd say 50 percent of gdp that i see is not purple it's green most of them are like half of them are green phenos and it's called granddaddy purple but velvet punch f2 49 out of 50 that i've sent out are purple and it just happens to i was like not planning for that. That's my initial cross from somebody else's work, Dojo DNA's work. And I was kind of just seeing what was going to be consistent. Grape flavor was another thing. A lot of people reported the methylanthranolate, that kind of grapey candiness. And some people were saying gas, but not everybody is saying gas. But I think what we smell as gas on cannabis is like uh, perceived differently by a lot of different people. Because I agree. It's it, a very, it's a very ephemeral description, I think. And, um, you know, I sometimes struggle to define it even for myself. I will say though, I feel I, I just want to say this about the consistency argument and also like about seeds and and the premium nature. You all, if you're regulars, probably already know, and the panelists definitely know that, uh, you know, I'm very passionate about this particular subject with like, um, you know, like certain hemp for like certain products, like for livestock feed or grain or whatever. There's some really interesting textile use and that kind of a thing, but also for traits that are not visible or not overt, things like resistance and stuff like that. Like, you know, um, 
I just feel as though, and this is a bit of a hot take, but I've definitely ex- experienced and been exposed to a lot of people who I think kind of are bitter or resent the fact that like, we know how genes work pretty well. Um, breeding requires an understanding of how genes work. And there's a lot of people who don't really know even bio 101 type things about how this process works, let alone sort of advanced concepts or resources for that matter. And that like it's axiomatic, right? If you know that things change generation to generation, just basically, then you know that if you're not controlling for different variables or you're not, con- or you're not trying to line breed, you're not, you know, making use of your theoretical knowledge of breeding, if you have it, um, you know, then you're opening yourself up to like a lot of problems, a lot of inconsistencies. And like, I just feel like that's kind of, you know, on the one hand, if you want to have like a mysterious sort of ethereal uh, interaction with the plant, I think that's totally valid. But on the other hand, there's the reality of how we know plants work and cannabis for understandable reasons has sort of been sometimes an insular sort of exclusionary uh, sort of uh, idea about cannabis, like that separates it from like the physics of other plants, as if like cannabis is something very special that, you know, uh, isn't sort of um, held down by these same rules, but that's not true at all. Anyways, that's enough. Certain things though, like what, what I think people love about cannabis is a little bit ephemeral, like highs. The experience of smoking yeah. cannabis is unique. Oh yeah, no, I agree with you completely. And then like to isolate those to a certain gene, it will be done and it's being done now. Um, it's already being out, done. Yeah, what terpenes and what cannabinoids, what flavonoids and esters, all the other things that are combining to make those. But long before we knew what the genetics were, like Darwin looking at the uh, birds or people that were breeding the red rose to the white rose and getting like a certain amount of pink. Um, or people who were first interacting with cannabis like 10,000 plus years ago, you know, first domestication events. Yeah. And even just like casual conversations like we're having tonight and uh, shout out to Poet and Ponix. He's in the chat or was earlier. He invited me on to uh, Dat Smoke Show this week. It was on Wednesday night and I was speaking with uh, Canatai Seeds, who's got a F11 freak show he's been working on and he's bred it to the Australian bastard cannabis uh, and he calls it freaky bastard. And he answered some of my questions because my Velvet Punch F2, one of the notes that I found was one out of every 15 in my popping gets like a really jagged, like zigzag, what I call the sawtooth pheno. And I want to breed that to the seeds I was gifted by uh, Gnome Automatic some uh, Australian bastard cannabis and make what I call the velvet uh, bastard. And so I ended up talking to this guy who's been working a lot with it. And he said, uh, if I isolated, like if I just wanted to make like a sawtooth pheno of velvet punch F3, if I took those one out of 15, so say I pop 30 seeds, find one male and one female that were sawtooth, breed those together. He said, instead of being one in 15, um, it would be maybe more like one out of seven or one out of five. And he said it would probably double each generation. Uh, that like F3, instead of one out of 15, it'd be like one in seven, and then it'd be one in three. And then you could eventually lock it down to be like almost 100%. And he's been doing that with the uh, Freak Show. And um, Dog Doctor actually has a relevant question, if Spartan Grode can read it for me in the uh, side of the Zoom chat, because I'm going to drink some water. I got some cotton mouth over here. Okay, it's been a little bit, but Dog Doctor was uh, asking in the YouTube chat, 
He says he's got a question. Can I, for example, pollinate a freak show pheno and make a cross of my own? And will it be stable or I have to do it a few times? So he's got a female that, that tells me he's got a female freak show. He's wanting to know if he can pollinate it and make a cross. The answer to that is yes. And the other answer to that would be you have to run the resulting progeny to see how the genetics work with each other. Because freak show cross to velvet punch is going to be different than freak show cross to uh, land race Afghani or freak show cross to uh, Hawaiian sativa, etc. And the best route, if you're just looking, by making the funny leads, right? Yeah, if you want, sta- I think yeah. the best for stabilization would be to find a male freak show to hit your female freak show with. I think that would be your best place to start to try to stabilize it. To or if you don't have that ability, keep the cut of the female that you've got, grow the progeny out of that cross. You got an F1 yeah. there. Okay. And then you're going to hunt for in that F1 any freak show esque leaf morphology. You take that and then cross that back to whether it's female, yeah, female, or male to female. Simple. Guys, freak show is one of the probably more isolated cannabis strains, right? It's probably genetically pretty different um, than most of the other cannabis strains that we're growing. So how I would approach this problem, which by the way, I think cannabis is the, like, the only form of breeding where people start with like a clever name. And, and yeah. that's that's <laughs> like the... the the zeitgeist for their entire sort of breeding project is like the idea of a clever name. But that, that being aside, um, you could do this as a standard hybrid. I would choose the freak show to be either a mother or, or the father in this and find another variety that consistently crosses with it. Um, this is actually more similar to how they make sort of modern hybrid varieties of seeds um, and, you know, try different good sort of stable parents for the other parent. So um, I don't think freak show would be a particularly good mother. So choose it as the the father, the pollen donor um, and keep crossing that pollen until you find something that makes sort of reliable and, and fairly consistent seeds that have the characteristics that you're looking for. Um, when you do hybrids of unrelated species like that, um, you have a far greater chance of having sort of more consistency in the F1 generation. Um, most commercial seeds that are sold as hybrids are all F1s. Um, it's the most sort of consistent and predictable generation. With true breeding, which I think cannabis, unfortunately, is not quite well, you get the yet. advantage there of having just very distant. This wouldn't work for most canvas trades. I, I would only recommend this because Freak Show is one of the the, the sort of de- desired strains in this mix. And when you have, you know, when you cross distantly related or unrelated strains, that's when you have the greatest chance for sort of a more consistent hybrid. Yeah, I think it would result in probably more hybrid vigor than your typical polyhybrid that we're seeing in cannabis. One thing I will say is Freak Show, although it has a funky name and kind of a weird look, it does have benefits, like especially in like Thailand where Canada seeds is at right now, lots of rain. So it's got mold and mildew resistance because it gets better airflow. Um, so it's more resistant in yeah, those I types was gonna of climates. I ask if anyone knows, but I, for some reason in my head it popped up and I must means I must have watched a documentary or something, but to me, freak show looks like the expression of a plant that's in extreme high humidity for long periods of time. 
I've seen that that same kind of leaf growth where it sucks everything in. It has barely any leaf in a really high hu humid environment. So I wonder if it's just like a weird trigger, like it thinks it's really humid when it's not. Uh, yeah, I, there could be a lot of different things that are creating that. Sort of the more I think about that too, it's it, it's not necessarily very distantly related. It could just be a, a pretty significant mutation that, that's affecting a fairly small amount of its sort of overall genetics. It's been locked down now. Like um, the guy Shapeshifter, who initially did the breeding to stabilize it, shared it with Humboldt Seed Company, and Humboldt Seed Company did a pr pretty wide release. Now here in California, you can go and get a cut at Dark Heart Nursery of Freak Show. And there's even a cut now that it's going to be released uh, soon called Super Freak that supposedly finishes in like 45 days and it's super frosty, which is crazy. But it's a freak show, you know. And Kenneth uh, Seeds was actually saying his freak shows. Uh, he's got a lot of different phenos obviously he's broken it all the way up to f11 but he said it went from like being a medium yielder to like a pretty high yielder for him in his area and it's actually like not a small producer at all even though it looks kind of funky um in the veg and even early flower it produces pretty normal bud so i think it's going to be more of a contender for certain areas that have a lot of struggle with the uh molds and mildews and it is just so unique looking that it yeah. brings an attraction to your cultivation facility even if it's not <laughs> much better like people really like stuff purple was a perfect example right purple came around and it just wiped out the scene for a while like it was people are like oh fuck your og i want purple like in, in california for a little while and now it's kind of swung back a little bit but um with the freak show i think it it's something that people will just be like i want to try that you know it looks cool and if it's decent then maybe they'll want to try it again because that's the hallmark is it actually has to be good stuff to keep people coming back so yeah I guess I agree. I think there's some, it, because of its potential for climate adaptability, it's one of the ones that I think would be interesting to work with. But as a general rule, I would recommend all breeders or would-be breeders to like make your awesome consistent strain first and then decide sort of what it should be named, right? And like 1000% agree. Work out that name that's perfect for that strain. And that, those sort of no, characters. Doc. In spite of you, I will breed stuff to fit the names that I already manifested. <laughs> well, there's so many. Well, I mean, you're you're, you're far from kidding. the first person that's ever suggested something like this. But this is a real thing. Yes, people come up with clever cannabis names all the time, and then they're like, "I'm going to cross these two plants to make this," and I'm like, it's "Okay, what you mean?" It it's marketing, man. You got to be able to sell this. It is marketing. At the end of the day, you got to be able to sell it. And at the end of the day, there's also a dream that's associated with like cannabis like for a lot of stuff it's the flavor or the smell so if you're not just like stealing candy or other brand nicknames like a lot yeah. of people are doing um, yeah so if you're actually coming up with an original name like I, i've got a, a few in my arsenal that i aspire to make but i won't just arbitrarily name something because it has a cool name i need to make a, a pheno that is fitting to that name i have stuff that i know the smoke exists because right. I, i've smoked it out there Admittedly i want to recreate it for people and give them that from my perspective and how i see it like that's what a breeder i think they're an artist you're marketing what you love about it and yeah, trying that's... to broaden that appeal to others so that they can bring out and maybe smell and identify stuff that maybe they didn't even notice before and highlight the beauties of the yeah. intricacies of cannabis yeah yeah that's kind of the that's kind of the um that's the approach i take to song names sometimes i'll compose something usually i want to compose it and then come up with the name afterwards but sometimes I'm sitting there and I'm like, that's actually a really cool name. Now, what would that sound like? And, you know, so it can go both ways. But, you know, unfortunately, traits don't work this way. <laughs> 
So yeah, it can be your, your sort of muse, whatever, whatever muse, that thing that they kind of inspires you to be creative um, can absolutely work for you. But, but it could also humble you because like I've tried to like my goal with Velvet Punch initially is like I want to make it more purple. I want to F8 it and have like a purple plant so I could have a purple male. And I want to cross that with J1 and then back cross J1 to have this beautiful clone available as seed. It's like one of my goals. Okay. And I had F1 Velvet Punch, day 20, purple in my flower room. I'm like, great, off to a good start. I've got good selections, F2s. <laughs> doesn't turn purple until like week seven I'm like oh shit like <laughs> this did not go the way i planned uh f3s purple day 20 so it's like sometimes you just kind of hang in there and see how things turn out because the journey might be longer than expected and it might not turn out exactly how you expected like these are live things these are plants and maybe if i had access to the science and i could send it to a lab and they could say hey these plants will be purple at day 20 these plants will be purple at day 70 or day 40 or whatever they would have the markers and the traits and the back end labs but it's fun to experience. Like I've got a hopefully pretty long life ahead of me and a lot of breeding uh, to go through. Like there's so many beautiful genetics out there and there's more and more every year. And the stuff that we're making ourselves, like kind of like Tao was saying, what got me into it was not so much that I couldn't find great stuff out there. There's good stuff out there and I do enjoy some of the stuff out there, but I do see that there's also a lot of stuff that I don't enjoy. And a lot of like things that I feel like are not the most ethical. So I'm like, if I'm going to sit here and whine and complain about all these other people not doing it right, why shouldn't I just be a good example why shouldn't I just step up and do it myself and show people what I want to see? Because a lot of, Tao mentioned it, a lot of it's going fam. A lot of it's going auto. Personally, that's not what I like. I like photo period, regular seeds. And much like Subcool, like that is going to be like the hill I die on. Like I will grow photo period regs all the way until the fucking end because that's what I like. I personally want people to have access to make seeds. I feel like there's a little bit of the connection to nature where it's like that is the way it was sort of naturally. Granted, there's hermaphrodites that make self, you know, stuff like that out there in nature too. But uh, generally, I think it's good to give people access um, because when we start only giving people fam, uh, they have to buy seeds every single time, essentially, and then they're locked in, which might not be the worst thing if we can get packs down. $100 a pack on the even fine with. Yeah. They just have to can. buy the the silver or, or whatever, right? They don't have to necessarily buy the, the seeds again. They can make their own. But this gets back to how good was the breeding project done in the first place? Because if you're buying seeds ever, it's because instead of just using like say bag seed or other found seed is because the breeder knew something about what they were putting together when they crossed those plants. Yeah, sure. Hope so. Right. Like I can share like a little bit of what I found out about like velvet punch. Here's just like two pages. Here's my F2 on the left and F3 on the right. And like, it's fun because like, not only am I learning about morphology, but the smells, the tastes, the uh, growth patterns, the overall high like i write my max potential versus like the average potency because um i don't want to pretend like oh it's all going to be nine out of ten potencies when there's a lot of you know eight or eight and a half in there as well and it depends on if you don't take it all the way through a nine or even ten week harvest it's going to be a little bit less potent so at least my experience and everybody's experiences are different and like you see here a big warning and bold about the things that were causing herms and f2 light leaking over fertilization small pots uh causing root bound but it's also within the genetics so it's something to look out for it came from cookies and og background the lineage is listed right up here thin mint girl scout cookie uh, black velvet kush which is mexican sativa chem 4 um, and og which all kind of have herms in the background but i like trying to learn as much as i can about it so that way i can share more information about it with the people that are growing it because a lot of people uh, the breeders that i see out there 
you just see literally the name. Sometimes it doesn't even give you the cross. And some of those packs yeah. are like 350 to $500. And yep. um, I could also probably go through and show off the Velvet Punch F2 little highlight that I have on my Instagram where I have probably 30 other growers who actually posted it. And you see all these purple frosty buds and it's not exactly the same because each person grows it a little bit different, but you do see some of the consistency. So it's nice to uh, be able to like, I like to always shout out to DNA because I'm not the one who fucking made the shit in the first place. I just F2'd it because I found it to be really good. And I wanted to share what I felt to be good work with the community. And uh, unfortunately, he's kind of gone more on the hemp side of things and he's not really pushing his uh, THC seeds out there, but uh, I'm here to share them with the community. And it's a process for me to learn and get to connect with amazing people in the community. So with that said, I know Spartan Grown is one of those amazing people that has grown the Velvet Punch F2 and did a great job uh, representing and helping me learn more about the plant. So I want to thank him again for that. And I also give him a chance to uh, give his final thoughts and shout out because he's got to grow into the Michigan Bros Grow Show here in just a little bit. Thanks, Jack. And I appreciate that, man. And um, it's always fun to grow those out. And I'm sitting here looking, I got one, two, three, four, five jars of seeds to the left of me <laughs> of um, working with that vortex from TGA. Anyhow, um, I did want to say that is a pet peeve of mine too, is with the the names of strains i mean come on let's be creative and stop stealing names from everything else please for one and for two your name of the strain better tell me something about the damn plant please tell me something about the damn plant you know tell me how it's you know what the high is going to be like or maybe what the flavors like maybe or maybe what the, the parentage you know what the genetics are of the plant if the name reflects any of those i'm fine with it usually but it's just like i just would like to take it a little bit seriously and and try to take it you know if, if we take it seriously if we take it seriously then we can maybe affect the people around us to take it seriously and maybe we'll be taken seriously but other than that i just hope everybody is still growing uh everybody keeps growing and i think that's how we win in the long run because uh hell that's how we got here so never stop growing cheers guys girl loves spartan girl loves spartan always great having you man thank you later man that's born Later, dude. I, I do think uh, maybe for the last 15 minutes, we could all just go around and shout out a breeder who we feel is uh, doing good work that's maybe not here on this panel or ourselves. So I'll kick it to Doc and maybe say uh, if you could shout <laughs> out a breeder that you think uh, it, it doesn't have to be like anything crazy or just uh, seeds that you really liked. Oh, wow. I mean, I, I feel like it's a such a heavy to do an endorsement like off, off the blind spot like that i don't have anybody in mind right now i would actually defer to some of you guys i'm interested in in growing some of the amy acids i need to get some of those seeds sent up for my way one of these days but um you know i was just asked that about who was my favorite autoflower breeder too and i similarly sort of paused on this i feel like i say a lot of stuff about breeding and if i say anybody then they're gonna think that they sort of like follow <laughs> what i actually have said about breeding and i need to like look into that first basically very responsible i'll shout out no automatics he's been on the show he's a friend of the show and i see a lot of people get really good consistent results big purple healthy plants from his anvil uh damascus and a lot of the other uh, coal miners daughter cool crosses uh interesting names but uh you know lots of backstory and lots of work he's been doing work since like 2010 with autos autoflower network and uh doing great things over there and the other one as far as autos go i would say he's doing really good is um not that there's just one there's many many good people but um either night owl seeds slash they kind of split up from 
Mephisto genetics, who I think were kind of some of the OGs and putting out some really like quality stuff that you would never think like, oh, that's an auto. Like people smoke this and it's like, this is like exotic stuff or whatever, like really colorful, flavorful and, and frosty that no one would even think twice that this is just good cannabis. So uh, shout out to the people that have really brought the game forward because I've smoked low rider and it's not good. <laughs> so uh, for those people who took low rider and turned it into the stuff that we have today, congratulations to you guys because you that's successful breeding that is really like you took something that is undesirable yeah. uh, small grower small producer uh, not heavy in smell not heavy in tricone production and they have turned not that low rider was like the only auto but it was like one of the biggest out there widely available and our industry has been able to take breeders and move it forward to stuff that is pretty indistinguishable for most smokers out there from yeah. The best photo period stuff which is uh, that's like amazing creating to a whole new category of plants right i mean creating a whole new sort of category of cultivars because of a, a really vigorous breeding effort the same um, thing happened with cbd the whole high uh cbd hemp essentially it's like really really rich in cbd where hemp before was really low in both yeah. thc and cbd but then these people that bred they're like oh cbd is really healthy and it helps a lot of people let's breed it really up just like we did with thc and they got it cranked up to like 30 percent in certain strains mm -hmm. and um it was impressive to see in such a quick time because a lot of these guys were just like entering cups and like some of them were winning cups and they had like one-to-ones and they took those one-to-ones that they found out because once they entered the cup that's when they found out oh this actually has a lot of cbd like that's why people are maybe liking this one and then they ended up breeding it up and uh shout out to like ringo and a lot of the other people uh way laughter at house of harlequin and many others who've done lots of good work with cbd i saw a headline that uh charlotte's web is the official cbd of the major league baseball now you can buy it for your cats at friggin petco or whatever <laughs> i got it for my cat with anxiety it's a little more expensive than the other stuff but i was like you know what i'm just gonna give them regular old cbd uh but it had like a you know fish oil or something else to make it more palatable i think but uh charlotte's web unfortunately they kind of stole the strain from the guy yeah. it's like a rm4 or something is the actually i need to look i, I don't want to say the actual name of it because i don't want to mispronounce it but they unfortunately like uh took advantage of somebody and you know but at least they that's did, the thing though thing. I mean, some people end up creating an entirely new category of sort of plants, right? Some breeding efforts are incredibly sort of rewarding um, because somebody just gets lucky in crossing a bag seed to something else and, and get some fire new strain or some fire new sort of plant that everybody wants. Um, you know, I'd be happier if everybody sort of did the breeding for sort of the love of the plant and yeah, selling seeds is one thing, but, but thinking we can sort of patent and lock down and be the only ones to benefit off of that. Um, I, I think if you come across a plant that's really valuable, it, it, other people are going to, should be able to, to start growing that plant. Maybe you can be called after you or something, but expecting royalties in perpetuity for, for, that i think i don't know we haven't we haven't worked this out well as a society in terms of um what intellectual property is worth and intellectual property rights seem to be you know really <laughs> well enforced in our legal code even though that makes us all sort of deeply uncomfortable with some of the real world you know outcomes of that and i think seed genetics is a good example of that i mean driscoll uh berries got into it with one of the uc california's with yeah, that did happen years. recently. So it happens in general agriculture. It happens in horticulture. It's yep. going to happen in cannabis. But I, I am in total agreement with you, Doc, for so many reasons that 
open sourcing, sharing the genetics, spreading them wide and far is the best avenue because it helps everyone in the long run. If I hate to say it, people die, people get locked up, people go away for a lot of different reasons. Uh, people maybe they can't continue to propagate the things and, and, and do what they needed to do to keep the line alive. And it'd be a shame if Josie Wales didn't spread the GG4. No one, none of us would have access to that. Limerilla wouldn't exist. All this other stuff wouldn't exist. Right, but he spent GG4 for free. And that's the screen that sort of rocketed around and, and became super popular. Um, people just started passing cuts around. He didn't make any money off of GG4. He was trying to make money off of restricting the genetics on GG1, um, taking it through a, a sort of a totally different business model. Um, and I'm a huge fan of what happened with GG4. I think breeders, you know, we need to recognize that we're standing on the shoulders of giants. Like we didn't do this. We just took the last tiny baby step of, you know, 10,000 steps that, that the whole history of humanity has taken up to that point. And yeah. us taking that last little step. Yeah, we deserve some reward for that that but again it's not sort of royalties in perpetuity and nobody else can grow the plant unless like you know they're paying you for it and and that's taking that sort of intellectual property too far i mean yeah besides things escape things escape like i think that's everything will get out eventually even the most i mean hidden clones yeah yeah and like that goes back to what our initial question was who are the some of the breeders we like and (laughs) i tell people all the time if you're gonna want to make seeds, like do the get seeds that someone did the thousand plant hunt on, and then uh, use those. That's a little cheat code, you know. But I I want to shout out Subcool. He was at least he made him not line bread. They weren't all the same. He made sure there was no herms. It was every female was worth. That's my that's my criteria. There is no herms. Every female you grow is worth smoking and isn't a runt. Like there could be one, maybe, but you don't. You know, like everyone is decent, and every or everyone is worth smoking and would be saleable if you took the time and effort. It's time and effort to grow from the seed, and especially regular seeds if you didn't want to mail. So I understand, like, because I've been through it. So yeah, I, and that's like uh, he's one, and now in his absence, Miss Jill, I'm sure, is continuing the same uh, quality control. So I would say you could probably be happy getting seed from Miss Jill, but also this cat, AK Bean Brains, every single uh, thing I like tried that uh, ended up in my hands has been legit. And like, it's like I'm saying, they weren't all the same, but every single female was worth freaking smoking a joint of more than once. And um, yeah, they grew. And that's the other thing. Some you get seeds that don't even pop. Like that pisses me off. But that doesn't happen so much anymore. There's a lot of fresher, fresher stock available. But I was wondering what Brandon would think is a fair price for seeds. If I mean he wasn't really pushing back, but he like, what do you think? He has a special opinion about that, does he not? He doesn't buy seeds. I think so. I don't know. But he sells them. So I mean, right? So So I don't buy seeds. but I list I list my seed prices at what I would be comfortable paying for somebody else's work that they did. If I thought that they were legit and they did good work and I was going to spend money on something that they did, that's what I listed right. mine at. So my okay. my prices and my seeds typically range between sixty and a hundred dollars, but usually they're seventy to seventy five. For how many? Oh, what a steal! 
Um, so there's usually 11, but uh, sometimes my sometimes my seed counter accidentally pops an extra in there. So yeah, you see, that's <laughs> totally fair pricing. Like that's that's what it should be. It Way should less be about, than a lot of in the market are like 350, yeah, 500. Yeah. Some it's even like knock off like copycat type people sell list them as like a few thousand, and then they're like, oh, but I'll sell you five for two fifty, like on a, to make it seem like it's some crazy deal, but like it's still not a, a great deal. Oh, but Jack, and, it's and, a, oh, and, don't you know it's a race to the bottom, Jack? It's a race to the bottom. <laughs> we are we are rewarding complacency, and uh, you know that's such a terrible take. Uh, and you know, that would be such a terrible off. take. From what I've seen, there's absolutely no correlation between the cost of the seeds and the effort invested in breeding the seeds. Like I kind of agree. Right. The the really expensive seeds are, are, it's a form of luxury pricing where people put an expensive cost on things to make them appear more valuable. And the fact that they're charging like $500 a seed makes you think this must be really good, worth $500 a seed stuff. I mean, it's just the same crap seeds from anybody else, but that's, that's one sort of psychological aspect of luxury pricing is just charge way more than something's actually worth. And people will believe that it must be like really valuable. That's a great point. Yeah, because why wouldn't it be? Way back in the day on this, and I kind of reevaluated and I listened to one of these old episodes, and I was like pushing back, and I was kind of maybe just playing devil's advocate, but I was like talking about how like, oh, well, Ferrari only makes X amount per year, and you're like, yeah, well, that's because production and uh, engineering and other things like that and development, where with seeds, you could just expand production at at a certain point. You could just make production large enough that the cost of the seed isn't what the cost of the price that the pack is going up for and i was kind of talking about well certain people own like got their reputation like they win an emerald cup and they only do maybe one crop per year or whatever outdoors and i was kind of trying to justify some of these higher ticket seed prices for some of these people but in reality like some of the people that are doing the best work like line breeding uh, going through picking out amazing phenos doing huge hunts are selling you packs for ten dollars a seat or less you can get yeah. five dollar fifty pack yeah, or a hundred dollar ten pack that's fair, some right? of the best breeders yeah. in the game and if it's a little if bit you're... more i mean it's still Yep. affordable and, and not friends, crazy friends, and i think you can make a good living a little more too i'd, I'd say yeah that's too. great margin Let's still that in there still great yeah. margin at 100 yeah. let's be honest and if you have a good product that i mean it'll sell itself well i'll be on here talking about this fire new strain and how consistent it is and everybody's got to try these seeds i mean that yeah like, we'll find out like amy aces have shit. a good product going around and sell it at a reasonable price uh yeah that's that's what yeah I don't want to be, I'm not a businessman. I just want to make good seeds. And I'm like, I'm like, I'll worry about any of that other shit. But yeah, but the, uh, I do want to say though, keeping the mom and dad is a chore. And I was got scared a couple of times that, it, yeah, it wasn't going to come through and shit. So yeah. yeah, like as a, as a like hobby thing, it's really is. If I was going to really go into production, I would want to have like, locations in case a fire breaks that would be the end of it you know i lost the stuff or i could just be a bullshit artist and say no I, you know just puts two other ones together but yeah well I'll go down to the honest, garden yeah, center guys and, and I, sorry finish your thought yeah, I, I lost the godiva mother and i lost the ophelia mother so now those won't be the same but i might have f2 i want to i mean i'm telling you that one godiva plant that i had i fell in love with first i thought she was going to be the amy aces of the world but Amy proved me wrong, and because I lost the mother, I also I didn't push Godiva. But I'm telling you, I might have to that one and look for the 
the uh, just pull off the fan leaves, and then that's all you need to do to trim. That plant was a beautiful plant, and it was really good. But I digress. That's how yeah, I mean. But, a lot of the old school heirloom stuff has been bred. They weren't keeping clones. They're breeding the best stuff to the other best stuff in that generation, and taking that forward to the next generation. So I don't think that there's necessarily anything wrong with breeding that way as well. It's, it can be cool to keep your mothers, but it can also be cool to make F twos and F threes and F fours and see how they change and develop. So I think uh, the F two of the guy. Godiva or even like the recreation of it is a worthy effort, but we're running right up on the very end of the show. So I'm going to kick it around to Dr. MJ for his final thoughts and shout out. Oh, that's me. <laughs> I was like, wow. Um, hey guys, this was a lot of fun. I, I enjoy these episodes. I had fun chatting about breeding and all sorts of different things. I'm going to have to look up some of my favorite breeders though, because th this keeps coming up. Although, I, I mean, I agree. I didn't realize people like Subcool would sort of be like count for for like a, a breeder possibility for this but in any event guys love doing the show with you i am going to mj bizcon here in a couple of days so i'll be hanging out in las vegas with uh jordan river and comfortably large section of sort of the the cannabis industry um first time i've been to that conference so i'm kind of looking forward to that if anybody's gonna be out that way i hope i run into you um and yeah, visit me at CocoForCannabis.com. Check me out on my YouTube channel at Dr. MJ Coco. My uh, diodes video is continuing to do pretty well and getting good feedback. I'm happy with all of your, your comments on that. I got to go through and, and respond to them again. It's been a while. Um, but thanks for all the love there. And uh, I'll see you guys next week. Grow love. Happy to have you as always. And next up, Brandon Rust. What's going on? Uh... Uh, pleasure to be here as always um if you guys uh want to check out my body work you can check me out on instagram i put up a bunch of content talking about the different mineral uh elements and you can check out bokashi earthworks.com 25 off the whole website until december 8th so you can get your micro plus humate fertilizers amendments microbes anything you need uh i'll see you guys next week Thanks again, Brandon. Next up, Noah the Grower. Sorry about that. Yeah, I'm uh, I'm Noah the Grower, and uh, had a good time. Uh, I'm not into uh, breeding or anything, so I was just kind of listening to everybody, and it's all uh, interesting, cool stuff. Um, if you want to check out anything I got going on, you can find me at Noah the Grower with two E's on Instagram. I'll see you guys next week. Happy to have you, and uh, thank you for joining. And I know even uh, one of you don't contribute, I appreciate you being here, just uh, one of the crew. It's always nice to see the panel fill in. And next up, Matthew Gates. Yeah, I also enjoyed the uh, the discussion, and we talked about some things that I thought were really important, um, especially with regards to this topic. I would just say um, at the end of it that um, if you grow a plant or if you are able to breed a plant that is high germination rate, good, reliable consistency, and uh, and has also really great traits for things that are important for production that aren't just smell, taste, uh, metabolite production, that kind of a thing, at least for for the product, for, for smoking it. Um, then you've got a Cracker Jack product, but a lot of people, you know, there's there is a technological gap and a technical knowledge gap that I um, am excited to see uh, close. And if you'd like more interest, more information about what I do, pest mitigation, that kind of a thing, you can contact me on Patreon for $1 a month on my Discord channel. You can also find me at zenthanol.com. You can also find me on Instagram and Twitter 
as Sync Angel. Thank you so much for joining us, Matthew. I did mean to throw it over to you during the maximizing uh, yield section for, throughout the year, because if you don't have IPM lined up, then you're not going to maximize. I can promise that because at some point, uh, IPM will come around and make it so that you're not going to be able to get the total max production that you would otherwise. So definitely check out Matthew's YouTube channels and uh, more information from him in the coming weeks on this show as well. And uh, last and certainly not least, the American one. Jack, as always, thanks for being a preeminent host that you always are. And uh, shout out to everyone on the panel. Shout out to everyone in chat. I'm sorry I wasn't in chat more often this tonight, but uh, yeah, it was awesome talking about seeds and breeding and whatnot. And uh, yeah, you know, to people who have your female cuts that you love, pop some seeds, find a male and put a little pollen on her. And like, that's where a lot of the, I think, really good side strains come from. People that have that favorite female, you know, that, that they've hunted, even though it was 10 years of going through different seeds, they found that one that's their one, you know, which share with everybody. So that's it, man. Peace out, everyone. Style. Thank you for joining us. I appreciate your feedback on all sections of tonight's show and um, definitely encourage people, like you said, to do their own little side projects with their favorite strains. It's fun. Even if you just make a handful of seeds with a single little branch, it can kind of whet your uh, breeding appetite and show you that like, oh, you can actually take this strain and cross it to that strain and see how they combine together. And it might be two of your favorite strains that aren't currently crossed together out there in the marketplace and you can make it happen or like tao says you've got that one pheno you've kept for a long time for a reason maybe see how it does with some other stuff and uh, have some fun with it and speaking to what doc mentioned earlier standing on shoulders of giants uh, i don't sell any seeds and i uh, haven't yet i don't even charge for shipping i got mine for free and i'm continuing to pay it forward just because vegan doja um the spirit that he has in this community i really if i'm able to uh, that is the plan moving forward just to try and spread the work and i i see how valuable this is as a medicine and feedback alone to me. I know what it, I was a tester. I know what it takes to go through growing seeds and investing your electricity, investing your time and money on the nutrients and the, the space and the grow and not knowing if this is going to turn out to be something. So I appreciate all of those 50 people who grew it. And even the people that raised their hand to get a pack sent out to them, even if they didn't grow it, you know, uh, things happen in life. So I understand it might not have worked out and maybe even my warnings might've made people uh, not feel comfortable to grow them. So I definitely want to uh, shout out my buddy Doja DNA because he did work for 10 years in a greenhouse where he never kept clones. He always took his favorite stuff, crossed it together and like a new, like Purple Punch is one of the parents of Velvet Punch. And it, his mail was like the Cookie 7 that had all that other stuff I mentioned earlier in there crossed to that Purple Punch. But then each season he changed it a little bit. So you could see like he has certain strains that are like really closely related. Velvet Punch and Spiked Punch are like one or two strains off because like, in his 10 years out there doing his little thing on the hill, he uh, made a bunch of really cool stuff. So I like to shout him out all the time. And um, people always ask me. So I tried to be proactive and uh, I went through and I made a little list of breeders. And the best way I thought to do it was I made an Instagram account. Uh, speaking of marketing, if I ever do make seeds, it'll probably be under uh, this flagship, Aromatic Akeens. Shout out to Tao because the American one with Akeens. I like the term aromatic and it, it's good for the algorithm, right? Because AA, it'll show up at the top of the list if it's ever on a seed bank. But all that stuff aside, you see 42 following. You can click on that on Instagram and you can scroll down. The first two are me and Lady Greenstock, obviously. But other than that, you see people like the American one, Archive Seed Bank, uh, Skunk House, Skunk Master Flex, a whole bunch of really good breeders on there. So if you want to see who I um really like and approve of you can go to aromatic akeens and check out the following not the followers the following section 
and that will give you a pretty good list of breeders that are making seeds today that I think are worth it and uh, may, may produce some fire for you. So with that said, we're about seven minutes over. This is the longest episode of Growing With My Fellow Growers we've done for a while, but I didn't want to rush the shout outs because I feel like we had a lot of important information we needed to get out there. So this has been at Jack Greenstock, like you can see right here on my logo. You can find me on Instagram as well as Cannabuzz, Jack underscore Greenstock on Twitter. And if you'd like a copy of my book, 50 Strains of Green, that highlights 50 different green strains of cannabis, you can go to 50strains.com or email me, jackgreenstock47 at gmail.com. With all that said, thank you all who came. The live chat was awesome tonight. I know we didn't get to all your stuff, but we're going to do some science next week and then Q&A the week after that. So thank you all for coming. And uh, Jack Greenstock, signing out. Grow love, everyone. Peace out.